The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. So, Mike, how fucked are we? Oh, um, well, <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say we're fucked. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on where you want to start. There's, there's so many interesting things, right? I, I, and I will say right off the bat, I didn't, I didn't have uh, monkeypox uh, on my bingo card. Um, I didn't, it doesn't seem yeah. to be that big of an issue. Even when people get it, they don't die. They just get blisters, and then it heals up, and then they're good. Yeah, and then they're fine. And, it's not but, good. But it's, it's not. It's not good. And it also could be avoided if you have don't have a lot of unprotected gay sex. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Seems... I I said the other uh, what a month ago, I made the mistake of saying yeah, just don't 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 have a lot of unprotected random sex uh, at a rave or don't fuck monkeys. And apparently, people took offense at that. I don't think anybody's fucking monkeys. So I mean, there probably uh, are. There's probably like one guy. Out there was there. one guy. But I, don't, I don't think that's what's <laughs> causing it. I Patient just, zero. That's just the name of it, right? It's yeah, it is. Yeah, but to tell you what kind of world we live in now, what they want to do is change the name because they think right. the name is is what it's offensive to gay people in some strange way. They want to call it like a number, like you know, ATX one two four. Yeah, some nonsense. It just it's already monkeypox. It's monkeypox. Everybody's going to know it as monkeypox. Remember when it was the uh, when COVID was the Wuhan flu? Yeah, yeah. For a no, while. that's not good either. It can't wasn't good. No, you couldn't. You couldn't do that. And then, and you know, why is it okay to have chickenpox? We can't have monkeypox. Uh, yeah. What's up with that? Nobody cares about the chickens anymore. Right. Um, no, it's it's it, it is interesting that that one of the primary concerns right now is you know aside obviously from from dealing with the actual issue is that we got to change the name. And and I honestly God couldn't figure out why. That would be offensive to anybody but monkeys. I, I, and I don't think it know, doesn't make yeah. any sense. Anyway. I think it's just the name has already become synonymous with uh, people having unprotected gay sex, and so they just want to reduce it to a disease. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just it is what it is. It's like out of all the things that we could be worried about, it's not at the top of the list, folks. You, uh, can, you can avoid it, and if you get it, you're going to be okay. You're not going to die. No, I, I don't believe anyone has died from it, which is crazy that it gets the kind of press it gets. Yeah, it's. I, I guess the number of cases caught people by surprise, right? I don't know where they are now. I, the last piece of news I read about it was we had 10,000 cases, I think, in the U.S. That's because gay dudes put in work. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got it. They're, they're prolific. Yeah. If you, could have, <laughs> if you don't have to convince some woman to have sex with you and you're just talking about a room full of dudes, that's all they want. It's amazing how much gets done. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if I had a pair of tits, I'd never leave the house. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think I. Okay, I should take that back. It's yeah, take that back. Yeah, yeah. Don't Sorry say about that. that. Yeah. I think you'd still leave the house. Yeah. I think you get accustomed to them after a while. Yeah, you probably would. You probably, you probably would. Uh, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't see monkeypox, and and we got. But you're right. We got other things to deal with. We got uh, China's lobbing missiles over Taiwan. Yeah, that was wild. So that would. That's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. Like, why the fuck? Would Nancy Pelosi go to Taiwan and then go to the DMZ? Like, it's are they trying to kill her? Well, like what? Yeah, yeah I know. It's. I think what caught a lot of people by surprise was just how public the trip became. Right? Well, it's obviously yeah. a press stunt. It, well, yes. It, although there was this this well, we don't know who leaked it. We're not sure. You know, I mean, from her office and, and from other places, we don't know who really started talking about this. Uh, because there have been a number of delegations, obviously, going back and forth. We just had another one in, in Taiwan. Uh, got almost no press. Right. Uh, but 
it really doesn't matter who would leak it because as soon as Pelosi's staff decided they're going to start talking to their, their Taiwanese counterparts about arranging a trip like this, from that, that very first conversation, it, the Chinese intel already knows about it, right? They've, right? they've picked up on it. So they're already aware. But anyway, so whether the Chinese regime decided to leak it and make a big issue of it because they're, they're, they're getting very surety about Taiwan at this point, um, it, it's, it's anybody's guess. But I think once it became a public issue and a spectacle, she had to go. She couldn't, she couldn't back down. Right. So, so that was a, inevitable. Uh, and, you know, did it accomplish much? Eh, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, we've got an obligation. Uh, we've got the one China policy and we've got the, you know, unofficial recognition of Taiwan. And I don't think anybody in any administration going back to the beginning of that policy ever really understood what it all means. It's very complicated. It's messy. Everybody's preferred, every administration preferred not to talk about it, really, because it's, it's kind of like the Middle East. Nobody ever thinks it's going to sort itself out properly. So, but, you know, to, I never thought I'd say this, to Pelosi's credit, she's, she's been hanging in there as a supporter of Taiwan for, you know, most of her time. And whether that's because she's making a lot of cash over there on deals, I don't know. Well, she brought over her son. Yeah. Who is in the mining business. She brought, would have brought her husband, but he was busy with that DUI <laughs> charge, which is not a funny thing. It's, it's, you know, hopefully he gets help. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Sympathy yeah. for Paul Pelosi. No sympathy. Yeah. It's, I mean, I guess they released a video that showed how fucked up he was, which, you know, people were very concerned with him getting released. Like, they just kind of dropped the case and now so apparently it's back on again yeah yeah it's hard to believe that there could be you know two standards of justice <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah i would have never believed that yeah but i it, thought everyone's accountable <laughs> everyone, we're all treated equally under the law so um, what you're saying though is that the moment they started talking about doing it china was aware of it yes so is that because of moles is that because of spies is that it's it's because um Taiwan, um, while an independent nation, right, and uh, except from China's perspective, um, nothing happens on that island without the Chinese regime knowing about it. Whether it's the Ministry of, of, of State Security or whether it's the PLA's uh, intel operations, they know everything that's going on. They, they, they hoover up everything. And, and that's just on the Taiwan issue. We can talk about what they're doing, you know, lately in the rest of the world. Um, but the, the amount of resource that the Chinese regime puts into, not just under Xi, but previously, puts into monitoring, understanding, uh, you know, what's happening in Taiwan, and importantly, what the U.S. is doing in relation to Taiwan, uh, is... Uh, is very impressive because at some point, and it may happen sooner rather than later, you know, the, China's been pretty clear about, look, by 2050, Taiwan's coming back. You know, it's going to be part of China, uh, and there is no two ways about it. But now people are talking about, well, that could be four years from now. They've accelerated the timetable, and that's causing a lot of concern. There's been a very big buildup of the Chinese military, obviously, and we've, we've talked a little bit about that in the past. But... Uh, also, they're just their aggressive behavior. So as their military has been growing, so has their sort of willingness to be aggressive about it and to, and to put themselves out there, which didn't used to be the case, in part because I don't think they felt emboldened enough yet 
due to the strength of their navy in particular. They've got the largest navy in the world. So, you know, that's, there's, there's, it, it's not, they're not just doing it to do it, right? There's a reason for it. And the reason for it is to prepare for the eventual day when they decide the time is right to bring Taiwan back into the fold. And that's going to be a very messy day from our perspective because, you know, I, what are we going to do about it? Are we, going to, are we going to war with China to defend Taiwan? What are the two perspectives? Is there one perspective where, where some advisors are saying we have to let it happen to avoid the inevitable mass bloodshed because it's going to happen no matter what? Mm-hmm. And then the other perspective is if we let them do that, we're sending the worst message possible, so we need to defeat this at all costs. Yeah, there's there's basically, yeah, that's very eloquent, actually, that you've defined the two tracks, right? There's, yeah. There's really nothing in between. There's no middle ground. Between. Right. Although you could argue, and, and this is what China's been watching also, is what's been happening in Russia and Ukraine, right? Um, so the idea that we've drawn a red line, we're not putting boots on the ground, right? But we're going to do everything, you know, up to that to help support the Ukraine in their efforts against Russia, uh, China looks at that and they think, okay, is that is that where this would go? You know, once we if we send our navy across the strait there and and uh, you know start dropping troops on the island, you know, where where is the U.S. in all of this? And they have to base their their strategy, their their forward planning on on sort of the knowns, right? And one of the knowns is how we're dealing with Ukraine. We do not want to get into a shooting war with Russia. Well, China's going to have to look at that and go, well, we assume they definitely don't want to get into a shooting war with us, right? So then they just, they, that's how they start to calculate what that strategy looks like and what the potential then risks and damage could be from being sanctioned further um, in certain areas, uh, in having uh, arms resupplied to Taiwan during the course of an invasion, essentially. So there's there's a lot that goes into it, but, I mean, look, it's interesting because we, we miscalculated the, the Russia situation, right? We, we figured out that Russia was building up to an invasion, but just about everybody said, yeah, it'll take them three or four days, and they'll roll into Kiev, and it'll be over. So we got that pretty wrong. So now we have to worry about how good are our estimates of, of you know, the Chinese PLA, the People's Liberation Army, and their capabilities, and the, and the Navy, and how how good are they? And then we have to worry about Taiwan, and say, how what's Taiwan's will to fight look like? Does it look like the Ukrainians? It's a, two different cultures, so. Well, that was a statement of the obvious, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's, <laughs> Sorry. it's a perilous time. Oh, God. It's yeah. very disturbing when you're you're sitting here, you feel helpless, you're reading the news, and you're trying to pay attention to what's going on, and you're like, Jesus, how does this end well? Like, what's the best case scenario? Yeah. Well, look, we thought, because again, we didn't have, we didn't have, if going back to using Russia as a, as a, as a case study, you know, and obviously that war is going on and it's horrific and, you know, there's a lot of tragedy there, but using it as a case study for what could happen in China right, and the potential there, we didn't get Putin's plans and intentions right at all, right? We didn't, you know, once this thing dragged on beyond what he expected, then, you know, there was a lot of speculation. Okay, maybe this is a negotiated settlement. You know, so what does that look like? And but they've just come out. The defense minister and others have just come out and said, "There's no negotiation to be done here. We don't view this as a as a way. To, we're not going to settle this through negotiation." They were very clear. They made a very clear statement. So they're in it 
apparently to uh, win. But what does that mean? Are they just are they going to be happy securing that that eastern side of the country in the south? And does that mean they want to take Odessa? I mean, uh, you know, the further beyond into Odessa and you know, no, again, nobody really knows. And we could talk about how, you know, what does that mean? Was that an intelligence failure? Was it was it just because we were focused elsewhere? We've been spending twenty plus years on the Middle East counterterrorism, and so did that mean that we were unable to because we didn't have the resources focused on the area to assess what was going to happen uh, with a land war in Europe. And so what does that mean in terms of our ability to assess what the Chinese regime is going to do and what their military capabilities are? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a big concern, but how it ends, again, that's all speculation, but it's, it's going to be messy either way. Now, what do you make of the people that say that this is provoked by NATO constantly pushing the boundaries and pushing uh, weapons up to the border of Russia? Yeah, I get, the, I get that argument. I mean, Putin has been very clear. And one thing I don't think we, we ever do very well is we don't really take despots or dictators at their word, right? So when they say something, we tend to, it's kind of like with Xi in China, right? He's, he's a dictator. They're going into a they're going to into a Congress soon uh, where he'll probably get a third term. They've never had that happen there. So he's cementing himself as being there forever. But we've always, I guess my point is, we've never really been good at just saying, okay, he's, th- that's what they're saying. So maybe we should factor that into our analysis as to what could happen. And Putin was clear for all these years saying, I, you know, I want to rebuild the Soviet Union in some fashion. Right? And, and the collapse of the Soviet Union, including losing Ukraine, and Ukraine is... They're coming up on their Independence Day. Um, they, what is that? The 24th of August is, is Ukraine Independence Day. That's tomorrow. And they became independent in 91, uh, got out from the, the Soviet Union. Uh, so Putin's been very upfront about how he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union in some capacity. So, yes, I get the argument that says if we've been pushing NATO uh, for years, right? And trying to strengthen NATO and, and trying to get them to pay their fair share and trying to do all these things to bolster NATO, particularly along the border with Russia, he's going to look at that as an existential threat in a way, right? And we should, we should have probably uh, paid more attention to that. But I, you know, I think, you know, that's, it's, it's, that's a little bit too late for Putin. But I think what we should do is, is use that again and look at what she's been saying, and look at what they say during their, their, you know, their congresses. Look at their five-year plan and you know, be a little bit more um, aware that he probably means what he says. So when they talk about Taiwan, they mean that. When they talk about you know, getting to the top of the food chain uh, in a variety of areas, whether it's pharmaceuticals, technology, uh, telecommunications, shipping, oil and gas, that's what they're going to do, which is why they've been so intent over the years. Uh, to hoover up or steal every bit of intellectual property uh, and intelligence that they can, because that's how they're meeting those goals. There's also some talk about them buying U.S. farmland. Uh, someone just oh, yeah. brought this up to me the other day. That they just bought an enormous farm somewhere in the middle of America, and their number one priority is feeding China. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've been doing all sorts of. Th- I mean, we we could we could literally. We could, we could literally sit here that's like, all day long talking about what they've been up to. Um, but but you're right. Um, the Bureau the bureau had a great report um, not that long ago. Um, they 
culmination of a years of investigation. And one of the interesting things that they were doing was looking at the financial side of things. So rather than kind of thinking of individual uh, counterintelligence operations, they started looking at Chinese companies, whether they were state-owned or whether they were just, you know, theoretically private, but they had two or three cutouts between them and the state. And they were looking at their deals. And they're saying, well, why would they do this? And, and if, it's a, if it's a private company that's out there to make money and to become successful or be successful, or to grow, why would they be making deals that seem not profitable? What, what, what's the point of that exercise? And so aside from just acquiring assets, and China's over, over the years has acquired a massive amount of, of property and other assets here in the U.S. and around the world, is the idea that it is a very clever part of their investigation from a bureau perspective is to say, all right, let's look at a Chinese company uh, like ZTE or Huawei and let's try to understand why would they possibly be um, giving away their products basically at dirt cheap prices? Uh, why would they be interested in, in, in acquiring land in a particular area? Why would they want to work with a particular regional telecoms provider here in the U.S.? And when you do that, their activity becomes pretty clear. Even to people who are skeptics, it becomes pretty obvious that, I mean, look, just Huawei alone, they've, over the years, I mean, going back to 2000 and before that, Huawei is, as, a, as a telecoms company started in 87. And they're now the largest uh, producer of telecoms gear in the world. They do all the plumbing. Right? They do the antennas, they do the routers, they do the servers. They do... You look at a cell tower now, anywhere in the Midwest or out, uh, out west, uh, anywhere, and it's likely got Huawei or ZTE or other Chinese components on that cell tower. And one of the reports that the Bureau came out with um, after a lengthy uh, investigation is fascinating. And um, I th I'm pretty sure you've, yeah, you've seen this report that, that did the... That you look at the uh, I-25 corridor. It goes up uh, uh, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, that area along the border of Nebraska. They did a deal with a, a regional telecoms provider out there, Viero, I think it was. And they now have their, over the years, they've put their equipment, Huawei has, onto these cell towers that go up and down this corridor. Well, the other thing that's up and down this corridor are a variety of military bases and an enormous number of ICBM sites for our, <laughs> our nuke program, right? So the idea that China was just, you know, willingly giving it vastly discounted prices, uh, their gear to a regional provider in, the, in, in part of the U.S. where we have an enormous number of ICBM sites. I don't know. It could be a coincidence. <laughs> but I, it's, 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 it's a perfect example of what they do and, and how they're willing to, to invest state resources and how smart they are at, at long-term targeting and understanding, I want to know about this. That's where the information is. I'm going to get access to it, and I don't care whether it takes me 10, 20 30 years. So we're having this conversation and you're explaining this to me. I would imagine that if I was a person in, in a position of power in government, I would want to stop this from happening. So how did it ever happen? Um, well, it, uh, 
it wasn't really noticed. It wasn't. What? Nobody, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it, it's been a thing for a handful of years. When you think about it, if you think about Huawei's been doing this for, um, I mean, look, we could talk about what they did up in Canada, too, to uh, one of the world's biggest companies up in Canada in telecoms um, or roughly the same time. But anyway, uh, a couple of years ago, what are we? We're in 2022 now. So a couple of years ago, when they released this information, when they finished their investigation and they looked and they said, this is bullshit, right? We've got, because one of the things about this equipment that's sitting on these cell towers is people will say, well, who cares? It's telecoms. You know, it's, it's my mobile phone. I don't care if the Chinese you know, regime listens into my mobile phone. Well, the PLA's third department and their first technical reconnaissance bureau and other parts of the Chinese machine that, that hoovers up all this information that's related to our national security interests, they're not just going after, you know, commercial cell phone signals. This part of this investigation was to break down this equipment and try to understand, okay, wait a minute, could this be going after the DOD spectrum, the, the uh, bandwidth that the military would use? And if so, what does that mean? Uh, could they intercept communications? Yes, according to the investigation. And could they interfere with our communications? So not just hoover up data packets that are going across this, but also imagine if we're trying to send communications, things get really hot. They go after Taiwan, suddenly we're going on high alert. They could, they could either intercept or, uh, or uh, uh, block. block, jam, I'm having a, a senior moment, uh, communications, trying to get through on those uh, capabilities. And so it's a big, it's a big deal. Um, but once, it, once the investigation came out, then people did start to pay attention. But this is how, the, the, how slow the U.S. government can be. Um, in uh, in 19, uh, 2019 and 2020, basically what happened was, to, uh, to oversimplify this, was once it became clear what was going on and what, what the Chinese regime was doing uh, using Chinese telecoms providers um, to do this, the U.S. government said, okay, that's it. We got to take all this gear off these cell towers, right? And these are regional providers, right, that, in these areas because what the Chinese were very smart about was looking at our military bases, seeing how many of them were out in the rural parts of America, identifying who the regional providers are and saying, we can sell you this gear for nothing. How about that? And over the years, the regional providers are like, great, fine, because they're not thinking, you got some guy running some regional telecoms company. He's not a, a, a counterintelligence specialist. He's just right? working on his bottom line. He's just working on his bottom line. He said, this is a great deal. So they load up all these towers. So anyway, the U.S. government said, you got to take all this gear off, right? You got to remove all this shit, and we're going to have to replace it with, with trusted gear. And, and by the way, Huawei is on a trade list, um, as a ZTE and others uh, at this point. Um, so we can't, going forward, uh, companies aren't using their gear, but you've got all this stuff sitting up there anyway, right? And every time you need to do an update, right, uh, one of the weaknesses on some of this gear is you've got to, you know, uh, basically hit it with new software, with an update. And anytime you do that, that's a pathway, perhaps, for them to do something else. And so they said, take all this gear off. We're going to allocate, as U.S. government, we're going to allocate uh, just shy of $2 billion to do this. And uh, none of the gears moved. This was 2020. Two years later, none of the gears been moved because all the companies, they said, okay, shit, we'll make a list of all the stuff that's got to come off of there. And they did. And you're talking about you know, 20 some odd thousand pieces of equipment that need to be pulled off of cell towers that 
you know, are compromising or potentially compromising uh, U.S. national interests. And they said, well, we can't do this for $1.9 billion. It's going to cost us twice that at least, which means it'll cost us probably three times that. And so nothing's been done. None of the gear has been removed. Uh, now the U.S. government's saying, well, okay, maybe we can partially reimburse you. Well, you're talking about companies that, as you pointed out, are trying to you know, improve their bottom line. They're trying to make money. So they're going to get partially reimbursed for taking this gear off, right? Because the U.S. government is, is so slow in, in – the Commerce Department started an investigation in 2021. They still haven't finished it about the same issue. So I don't want to sound cynical, but – a, I, I, I'm very happy that the, the Bureau, through some very good investigative you know, efforts, uh, has highlighted this, and it's important to be talking about this. Thank God it's, it, it, we're getting better at talking about it. But nothing's been done. And it's, so the same problem exists. So it's kind of like when you go in and you talk. I remember 15 years ago, I would go in and I would give a talk on Chinese espionage. You know, that's how long I've been kicking this horse in the ass. And people would just roll their eyes. And it still kind of happens because they'll look and they'll go, ah, oh, you, you know, yeah, that's bullshit. You're being xenophobic. Or, well, we do it too. That's always a, my, one of my favorite arguments. People say, yeah. well, the U.S. does it too. And like, <laughs> well, what the fuck? What kind of argument is that? Right? I mean, so it's, it's, it's. So let them. So yeah. just let them. Just spy. let them. Yeah, it'll be fine. You'll just all do it. And uh, so anyway, I, that, that's, that's the, that's one of the more interesting uh, parts of this. But. I mean, they're just the, – the shit that they're doing. They did the same thing up in, in uh, Canada back in, in, in 2000. They infiltrated a company called uh, Nor Nortel. And Nortel was one of the largest companies in the world. Super successful, right? Based out of – I forget where. Ottawa, maybe, in Canada. And uh, Nortel went bankrupt in part because they had, you know, they had some bullshit uh, business decisions made. But in part because Huawei – and, and others uh, out of China just started hoovering up and stealing all their shit, getting everything. I mean, look, this, this problem, I, I know I'm, I sound like I'm rambling, but you could go back 10 years ago and an, one estimate, a, a legit estimate of the cost to us, right, from economic espionage and the theft of intellectual property by not just China, but Russia, Iran, North Korea, any bad actor, the theft, the cost of that in one year, at that time, 10 years ago, was $500 billion in terms of blueprints and, and technical information. And, the, and, and, and then, you, then you factor in lost jobs, right? Because when they're stealing information to advance themselves, what they're also doing is kicking us in the ass and we're losing jobs, right? And we're losing and companies are shutting down or, or not making money. So it's a it's it's a problem. I know I bang on about it a lot, but it seems yeah. like it's worth banging on about. Yeah, this Nortel company. So what did they steal from them? They took uh, a lot of uh, proprietary software. Uh, Nortel at the time was doing they were doing all sorts of things that were were groundbreaking, right? They were coming up with touchscreen technology before Apple did, right? They were doing all sorts of things, and. They, um, at a certain point, they just couldn't compete because all the, all the information about their plans and intentions for, for uh, business operations, for uh, bids, for everything, were now in the hands of uh, 
Chinese state-owned or favored companies. And how were they doing this? Are they doing this through their routers? And what were they doing? They infiltrated a lot of they they, they basically malware that they laid onto their systems internally. Uh, they also had some old-school kind of help, right? There's a lot of layers to espionage, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of layers, particularly economic espionage. So, you know, we all like to think about the cybers part of it now, and that's true, but. You know, Chinese in particular also rely on humans, on human intelligence, right? So co-optees or, or recruits that they can get. And they had, they had a number of very, um, very highly regarded and, and thought of uh, engineers and developers and innovators and, and uh, working within uh, Nortel who were from China. And that's a prime target for Chinese intel, right? They'll, they'll always look to kind of play off of that connection to the motherland, whether it's first or second or third generation. So they uh, basically just started, Nortel just started being unable to compete because they were just, and at the same time, oddly enough, you know, Huawei was doing better and better and better. And, you know, as Nortel was getting crushed, Huawei was building up their, uh, you know, uh, innovation centers, hiring more engineers, including a bunch from Nortel. Uh, interestingly. So I guess the, the, the point to the, the story there is it's been going on a, a long damn time. <laughs> and we, t we tend to think of it as like just something when, I mean, the previous administration, Trump administration, you know, they, they talked a lot about China, China, China. And that's a good thing, right? The more we talk about this, it's not going to change their behavior. But if nothing else, maybe it makes businesses, companies more aware. I think one thing that needs to happen is, is that, uh, the government has to do a better job, right, of explaining the case. Because again, I've seen this for years now where people just kind of go, ah, yeah, okay, fine. You're talking about Chinese espionage and they're stealing our information. And uh, they, they don't really know what it means necessarily. Or they just don't imagine it's that big a deal. So, or they don't see the evidence. And I guess maybe that's part of the biggest problem is because of what it is, because you gather some of this evidence, you can't talk about sources and methods, whatever. You don't just throw everything out there on the table and say, look, here's the evidence that Huawei or, um, or the third department of the PLA or whoever is, is, is doing all this activity. And this is what it's costing us, and this is how we know. You can't do that in intelligence operations. But I think we need to, make, we need to figure out a way to make an exception to that in this case because that's what will get people on side, right? That's what will get people to be believers in all this is if you give them more evidence. And it's like UFOs, you know, if yeah. somebody actually talked about it, gave you a piece of evidence and you go, okay, yeah, maybe it's so. But it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a tough line to walk. The Bureau's getting better at it, but um, I think we need to be more transparent in explaining how we know some of these things to the degree that we can, and then there will be limitations, but we don't do enough of it. But the more we talk about it, again, it's not gonna change the Chinese regime's behavior, because this is how they, envision and it's worked so far getting to the top of the food chain but we got to do something so has there been a company in the united states that has been infiltrated the way nortel was oh sure i mean whether you talk about uh, well not to, i mean nortel was an interesting case because it, it now it's bankrupt interestingly enough it went into bankruptcy they sold all their gear as part of an effort to raise funds right so they sold all this gear. A lot of it, who knows? Filled with malware. Filled with malware. It's going right. to go to some other company. Yeah, hey, hey, we got a deal. Yeah, terrific. Look at this. And then all of a sudden, China yeah. picks up a new so, signal. <laughs> so, oh, look. But yeah, whether it's Google, uh, you know, GE, I mean, recent cases, GE, whether it's, it's 
there's you know there's there's no um, when you, when you look at what do they go after, I guess part of it you could look at when they talk about every five year plan and they talk about where it's most important. You could probably correlate that to then where their real collection efforts are going to be. Right? Is it going to be in oil and gas? Is it going to be in? Um, is it going to be in in shipping? Is it wherever it's going to be? And you can pretty much assume then you're going to see an increase in cyber shenanigans in those sectors. Right? So, but they they. You know, they've they've gone after pretty much anything, right? They went out, they, all the various cases. They went after a small company years ago. I'm trying to remember. It was in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I forget what it was called, Ibon or something. It was a, on the face of it, it was just a company that um, worked in the entertain or not the entertainment in the hospitality business, right? And you think, well, why would they hack into a business that does hospitality work in hotel chains? Well, because what do you have at hotel chains? You have conferences and you have, you know, gatherings of business people and everything. And so what they were doing was they figured out how to in- get through Ibon and then get into the communications of you're sitting in a conference room, right? You're listening to some speaker up there talk about, um, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, laser technology or, or it doesn't really matter. And, you know, you're bored. So you say, well, shit, I forgot to call Bob. You know, I'll send him an email. Well, they had managed to figure out if we get into Ibon and we get into the way that they had connected with the various hospitality groups to help handle communications, right, for, you know, conferences and events. So they could pick up all that email traffic. So next thing you know, you got, you know, somebody emailing their boss back home talking about, you know, something proprietary. And... It sounds odd, but it's very effective. So I guess my point being is they whether it's that, whether it's going after a, a pigment formula for uh, creating a new type of pigment at DuPont, they don't they don't care. They'll just they'll go after this stuff and then they'll feed it to their their businesses. And people, Huawei is a good example. People say, well, I mean, because look, Huawei's you know they got a lot of employees here in the in the states, and they've said for decades we have no connection. We're not involved with the, the Chinese government. We don't do any of this. All our telecoms gear has been checked out by the FCC. Um, if the Chinese regime goes to Huawei and says, we want your cooperation on something, they'll provide that cooperation. 100%. 100%. They have so, to. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not like they're going to push back and go, nah, it's okay. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to play by the book. I remember when yeah. the Huawei stuff was going on, there were some tech sites that were very dubious about it. And they, they were saying that Trump is uh, overstepping and this is a terrible idea. There's nothing wrong with Huawei. And I, I remember reading this and, and they're coming from a tech perspective. You know, mm-hmm. they're just saying like, this is innovative gear and they make great stuff and but it's it's bizarre that they don't get informed before they make these articles because these articles can shift public opinion, particularly amongst right. people who follow that stuff. They would say, "Well, this is an overstep. Like, why are we doing this? This is xenophobic. This is more Trump. This is why we don't like him." Yeah, and that's a, you know that's that's a big part of the the, the pushback is well, you're you're being xenophobic, and you think, um, no, I think people are smart enough to differentiate between the wonderful Chinese culture and the people and the regime, right? The regime is, is, is not about advancing the, the liberties and freedoms of the Chinese people, right? The regime, the Chinese regime is all about staying in power. 
that's what they care about. And so I, I don't understand. I mean, I guess, but, you know, I just think fuck off with that xenophobic argument because it's, it's not. I, I do see that when they say it's overreaching, I, I think that goes back to this idea that we're not being transparent enough about explaining how we know some of this. And that's why mm. I keep saying to the degree possible, I think that would solve part of this issue and get more companies on side. The Bureau's gotten a lot better and other parts of the government have gotten a lot better at going out to businesses and saying, these are the problems. This is what you, you may be seeing in the future. This is what they're trying to accomplish and trying to help. But a lot of these companies are either, you know, just too focused on, on shareholder reports and they've got, a, they've got a good internal security system, they think, or... You know, they just they, they look at it and they say, I, you know, I don't want to really go out there and report that we've been hit by, a, a you know, a, a ransomware or whatever, because I, you know, what's that going to do to the bottom line uh, or the, the, the stock value? So a lot of companies, it's like crime. It's a lot of it's underreported. But, uh, yeah, it's a yeah, I, again, I, I know people listen to this and they go, oh, what the fuck? It's, it's Mike banging on about the Chinese again. But. It's not just the Chinese, it's the Russians, but the Chinese are the major perp, uh, perpetrators. And, and what it costs this country, it's, it's, it's hard to quantify at times, right? You can, you're trying to figure out, because part of it's a soft science of, okay, well, how much damage did that do to a particular sector, to a company? How many jobs weren't then created? Um, what wasn't innovated on our side that we could have? But, uh, you know, they're, they, look, they're doing everything. They're, you know, they've been caught in the recent past. They've been caught out in the middle of agricultural land trying to dig up modified seeds right i mean that's pretty old school send a co-optee or you know some asset out to a field in nebraska to dig up some modified seeds to send back to china so they can take a look at what's going on um their their efforts are you know from a intelligence perspective you got to admire them in a way they're very you know they're well resourced they're aggressive they work hard at it (laughs) it's kind of fascinating because the disturbing conclusion that one could make is that the only way for us to be able to compete with the Chinese in the way they do it is if we do it that way. So if we become, you gotta flip it upside down, oh, yeah. is if we become, you gotta flip the top. Oh yeah. Look at that. Smart CIA. Look, God, looks like, looks like, I don't know. It's like a monkey fucking a football over here. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. But it's this thing where they have a complete integration between their businesses and their government so their government would never allow them if we sent american gear over there that hoovers up all their intellectual data right they would never allow that exactly there's no level playing field right right there's a few realities there's no rule of law in china there's no level playing field if you go over to set up a manufacturing facility you have to assume everything's going to be compromised right your your proprietary information your your mm-hmm. coding your software whatever and yeah, they, we don't, they don't extend to us the same open society concept, right? I mean, right. terrorism, terrorists have used that against us for years and years and years and years, right? That's the fact that we have a free and open society and we, and we relish it and we should, right? That's a great thing. But people who don't have our interests at heart are going to take advantage of that at some point, and, and they have over the years. So I, I think with, you know, I mean, you look at, uh, look at, look at China and, you know, something simple such as electric vehicles. I, I, by the way, I, I, I walked into a rental car place the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, 
And the guy said, I, I just rented some bog standard sedan because I was only there for like two days. The guy says, uh, hey, I give you a deal on a Tesla. Well, I've never driven a Tesla before. So I thought, okay, I'll, I guess. So it was a simple, whatever it was, a Model 3, I guess they call it. So he says, hey, here you go. And uh, he gave me the little thingy, the, you know, little card or whatever it is to go out. And he says, it's parked out there in space 407. So I walk out there. And I realize as I'm standing there with my little rollerboard bag that I don't know how to get into this car. Right? I don't know how to unlock it. And so I'm looking and I'm walking around and I'm trying to figure this out. I've got the little card. And then I look inside and that big screen in there lights up and it says tap you know the the car so like a fucking moron i'm out there tapping the car with this card right i can't figure out because i don't know that it's that little bart by the window right with a little this little mm-hmm. thing there I, i'm being very technical so i stand out there for about 10 minutes trying to open the car and i can't so i go back into the little center there and i said um i don't know how to do this so the guy walks out with me and he yeah Shows me how to open. I get and get the car. He walks away. Now I don't know how to start the fucker. <laughs> so I had to. I sat in the car in this in this rental car center, and I googled how to start a Tesla, and had to watch a little video, right, like an idiot. And my takeaway, I, long story short, my, not I've already made it long, but my takeaway from driving the Tesla for two days was, I think if you're a technology person, I think it's great. You must yeah, people love it. I'm, I'm not, clearly. But to me, it was, it was, there was no driving experience, right? There's no sound. There's no feel. It was like driving a golf cart. And so, Anna, I'm not saying, you know, I'm against electric vehicles, but, oh, I know where I was going with this. <laughs> but the, the, the Chinese, when you think about it, they control 85, 90% of the processing of minerals, right, that go into an electric vehicle battery. And so when you think about that, it's not that they have all those in their, in, in, within China, but they control the processing of it because they're smart and because they looked at this years ago and because part of their five-year plan at a certain point was we're going to advance the ball in green technology. That's where we're going to focus. Well, what does that mean? That means we're going we're gonna to lock this down and we're also going to steal information related to this, but we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to, to get ourselves further up that chain. So whether you're talking about lithium or cobalt or copper or whatever, in that battery... You know, we are way behind the curve. We got a real problem. So we talk, we imagine somehow we're going to develop, you know, this, this, this green world where we're all driving electric vehicles. And the reality is China's already set themselves up in a very strong way to kind of dominate that, that industry. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I like it because it, it shows, again, it shows the targeting aspects of intelligence and, and, and the thought process that goes into gathering information, developing a strategy, working towards it, prioritizing your collection, all these things. But um, yeah, anyway, I wasn't, and I'm not saying I wasn't a fan of Tesla. I, I, I like, you know, Musk and the company and all that, but I just, I like to hear a noise when I'm driving. That's just me. Yeah, well, yeah. I have cars that make a noise. <laughs> That's, but I drove yeah. the Tesla today. Yeah. It's a fucking rocket ship. Yeah. It's the craziest car I've ever driven what in my kind life. Do you have? The Model S Plaid. Okay. It goes okay. 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds. Yeah. It's the acceleration is impossible. 
It doesn't even make sense. Like yeah. it, it seems like you're in another time period. Like you're around these things, they're all horses. Yeah. And yeah. you're in a fucking Corvette. Just whoosh. I mean, it's, it doesn't even make sense how fast it is. I saw, and also I, how quiet it is. The quiet part bothered me. Maybe that was what it was. I yeah. just was, you know, what do I know? But, uh, you know, it's. it's uh, Listen to music. Yeah. Yeah, I could have done they, that. They make a new yeah. uh, Challenger. They just started uh, releasing the uh, promos on it. And it's a Challenger. Look at Jamie on the fucking wow. Ball. Um, it's a Charger, actually. A Charger Daytona. So is that a four-door or a two-door? It's a two-door two? Charger? I was going to bring it up because I just heard the sound of it yesterday. Yeah, Did it's you... bizarre. <laughs> it's fake sound. Let's play it. Wait. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, it's it's going to hurt your feelings. Let's see. <clears throat> this is the sound it's going to make. <clears throat> Looks fucking dope, though. Yeah. Give it that. God damn it, I'm going to buy one. So it's very similar in many ways. What is that? The back. I don't know. That's the sound? Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's I've heard, heard the is that the It looks okay. fucking I thought great. I was so, going to play like the growl. So yeah, it does. Yeah. There's other yeah. videos, Jamie, because I, I did listen to the actual growl where they were revving, revving it. I don't know why they're not revving so it. So it's just one. it's just set up to mimic, basically, the sound yeah, of an engine. sort of. Okay. Is that it right there? I'm just checking to see. There's something else that could be here. Welcome back to Daytona. But they do the rules. Dodge. I do not think it's no, in that. But I guarantee, I know it's available. Each, each headline says it has it. And there it you definitely go. Yeah, have. I think this is okay. a... Oh Bro. That is amazing. That's the sound. Hmm. <laughs> that is sick. What? Might have been that. Not sure how I feel about that. Oh, there you go. The, the clear roof and everything, that's insane. Right. It's fake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a... It's fake sound. At least Porsche, when they, they have the Taycan, the electric one, it makes jets and noises. <laughs> when you hit, have you heard that? <laughs> no. <It> goes, <laughs> no. <laughs> See, I would like that. I, I, I think that would be more entertaining than trying to mimic the actual yeah. sound of an engine. Because you're yeah. lying to people. Yeah, exactly. You're lying to people. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I it Find is... That Porsche one. So that the but the Tesla, I mean, I, I am fascinated by the sort of the battery composition, and so listen to it when it takes off. No, it'll, it'll show you more. You, you get to hear it from like inside the car. That looks fucking sick. That car is supposed to be incredible to drive. Because it has like Porsche dynamics in terms of like steering and handling and everything like that. But it also, you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. But it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I could live with that. Yeah. Listen, that's not bad. But that, that does look nice. So that like that. Yeah, it's incredible. I like but that. But that is to me indicative of like what I would like a electronic futuristic car to sound like. I don't want them to pretend it's a muscle car when it's yeah, a fucking no. electric. That's no. horseshit. You know what? Get a muscle car. Dorks um, are gonna buy that thing. Yeah, it's just, well. That's why I say I, again. I guess I just I'm too far, you know, down the road to uh, 
appreciate the, the, the technology behind it. I'm, I'm, but I am fascinated by the, the composition of the battery, what that means in the future, if what we're trying to do is transition to all electric vehicles, uh, where these minerals are located around the world, what that looks like in, in terms of who controls that process, but also just the simple stuff of like, you know, I know we're talking about this for environmental reasons, but you know what, I, you know, if, if what we're going to do is control more of this here in the U.S., I don't think a lot of people are going to get behind the idea of like, okay, let's do more mining in the U.S. Right. I mean, that's, you know, oil and gas looks like, you know, a, a clean energy process compared to the process of mining for the most part. It gets ugly. So, yeah, it gets really ugly. We got, what do we got? Cobalt. You got, I forget, I read one time that cobalt in a battery, in an EV battery, there's a few kilograms of it. And- there's more cobalt in where in, in the Republic of Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, than anywhere else in the world. So if, and, and again, China controls a lot of the processing, you know, 80 plus percent of this. So if what we're saying is, okay, we want to do more cobalt mining, as just an example, uh, in the U.S., there's a lot of cobalt in Idaho, believe it or not, which I don't know if you know this, but I'm in Idaho now. And uh, most of that's on... State forest land. Ugh. Nobody's yeah. Exactly. Nobody's gonna Fuck say that. yeah. Let's let's start digging up forest lands to get more cobalt. But so I, I don't know that we've actually thought this through completely in terms of, from an environmental perspective. We all like the idea. I do think there's a lot of people out there who think that the energy for an electric ve- uh, vehicle comes from the battery itself. You know, as opposed to you maybe Coal. You charge that son of a bitch up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is so, unfortunate. It's yeah. like What I mean, if we had nuclear power to power electric vehicles and we could figure out a way to mine cleanly but that's those are euphemisms that's jumbo shrimp right there yeah <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> yeah you know. that's right yeah i i just don't i don't think it's um and again i'm not against it i let's let's make a greener cleaner world but let's do everything all at the same time right but it seems yeah. like it's it's greener in, in terms of people's impressions of what's going on because you're not getting the exhaust fumes but it's not necessarily greener net for the world when you think about the environmental impact and right. exactly what's involved in taking the stuff out of the ground and and also like how you're powering it. Yeah, when we think about who leads the world in sort of the the cleanest form of uh, of you know oil and gas exploration and and, and uh, drilling, for yeah. example, you know, and we say, okay, well, we don't we want to get away from oil and gas here and fossil fuels here in the U.S., so we're going to start you know making it more difficult to uh, pursue uh, that. So, but we're okay with the idea that you know other nations aren't going to change their habits and their practices, which yeah. are not as environmentally friendly. Right. And so, I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot of layers to this. Again, it doesn't mean I'm you know I'm just I'm just saying we we need to be a little bit more pragmatic. But I do think yeah I think part of the problem is people feel righteous about it. Yes. And if those minerals are mined in Congo or or you're getting lithium from Chile or or Argentina or wherever Australia. Fine, because I don't have to look at it. But what is the environmental impact there? Yeah. And uh, how could we ignore that? It's going to, I mean, I would hate for green energy to become an oxymoron. You know, it's because mm. it seems like that's, it's one of those things that people love to say, green energy. But like, what does yeah. that really mean? And yeah. if you think about the amount of cars in this country alone that are actually electric vehicles with low emissions that are powered by coal plants, which is, kind of fucking wild 
Yeah. Because that's a yeah. real thing in many parts of this country. Yeah, I don't know where people think that. Uh, I mean, I you know, again, I, I'm not saying everybody thinks this way, but I think there are a lot of people that just somehow imagine that battery is just self-charging. But right? I think a lot of yeah. people just like the idea of be doing the right thing from their perspective. Like, how much can I do? Well, if I drive a Tesla. Or if I drive, you know, yeah. one of the electric Hummers, at least I'm not releasing exhaust fumes. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I got a. I got a big truck. I got a big GMC truck. I got a suburban. I got a '91 Wagoneer. I got a Range Rover. Uh, I got a little MGB. I'm just kicking the shit out of the fossil fuels at my house. I'm. I don't have any EVs yet. Well, uh, I've, I've heard that there's potential technologies that can extract carbon from the air and that people are some people are looking at carbon as a potential resource that you could actually extract the carbon from the air and that carbon could be valuable that's i mean it, yeah it doesn't it sounds seem, crazy it sounds like dilithium crystals from star trek but it, it it's a great idea if but if we're work. putting it out there doesn't yeah. it make sense that we could suck it out yeah right, it's a it's a it's an interesting idea i i'm nowhere near smart enough to ponder it beyond saying it's an interesting idea but uh yeah i i do think that I mean, again, I'll wrap up the, uh, you know, it's the uh, Bash China Hour, but I do think that when we're talking about where where we're five to ten years from now, and, you know, the, the U.S. government just passed this Chips and Science Act, because we're aware of the fact that we don't produce enough semiconductors, enough chips here right. in, the, in the States, most of it being done over in Taiwan, right? I mean, 90% basically of the sophisticated semiconductor you know, uh, product is produced in Taiwan. And so, yeah, okay, fine. Pass the Chips and Science Act, invest some more money in, in doing that here. I just don't know that we're gonna be able to do anything about the, about the minerals required for the EV part because I just don't see, once people realize that it means you're gonna start digging up more earth, Right in in these you know not good looking mining operations, I don't know that they're going to be on board with that. So I, I'm not sure where that goes in terms of U.S. independence in that industry. But there's a, there's a lot of things we you know fine let's invest in. But I just think that that idea that somehow we're going to shut down fossil fuels in the in the very near short term in favor of this. No, how about we continue. With the fossil fuels that we have, you know, natural gas, great. We should be doing more of that. Uh, but we can do these other things as well. We can pursue all these other things at the same time. But it's it's we we always in this word, weird argument where it's like it's it's all this or it's all that. Right. And just no, just multitask, and and maybe we eventually we'll get to that green future that everybody's banging on about. I think people need to see the horrific consequences of mining. I just don't think yeah. they quite understand it. And this is coming from someone who has an electric car who loves it. Mm. I get it. But it's just what you're talking about is not clean at all. And we're we're talking about doing this for every car in the country. I, and I don't believe we even have enough minerals to right. power right. X amount of hundreds of millions of cars. No, I, I don't know what the, natu uh, what the uh, mineral reserves are now around the world. Um you know, in terms of rare earth minerals, China's hit the jackpot, right? In terms of just where they're located, so yeah. they've got when it when it's rare earth minerals. But I mean, you, you know, you can't you don't put cobalt and lithium and copper in the, in the, that category. But again, they've got the the hands on the, the processing. But 
it's uh, yeah, it, it is it is fascinating. I just think that whether we're talking about their their efforts to gather intelligence, whether we're talking about their buildup of their military, whether we're talking about um, you know sort of the, their focus, um, I just think that you know there needs to be more of an awareness of where we are in relation to China and what that's going to look like in 5, 10, 15 years. And I don't know that we've, you know, bang on about something else that's interesting, we spent so much time focused on the Middle East and counterterrorism that I think we legitimately degraded our ability to worry about other parts of the world and Russia and China being the two key ones. Um, so I think we're, we're trying to recalibrate, but that takes time. When you're talking about retooling your intelligence community, to now move away from this idea that, you know, it's all counterterrorism all the time. And, you know, we got to get back to the kind of the old school uh, intel concerns. It takes time to, to, to do that. It takes time to recruit new officers. It takes time to, to find those, those Mandarin speakers. It takes time to, to get the analysts who have all that experience. A lot of them have retired over the years, right? So that's, a, that's, that, that's you know, a ship you don't turn around in, on a dime. So I think it's... You know, it, it's going to be interesting where we go. But uh, circling back, I mean, you look at, at at Russia and I don't know where that mess is going to end up. But I think we better be paying real close attention to what it means for our abilities to better assess what's going to happen with China, you know, particularly vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. And I just said vis-a-vis. -vis. I can't believe it. I got to write down. Never say vis-a-vis -vis again. We have to be uh, if they're doing that, they have to also be careful that they don't degrade the intelligence on foreign extremists and you know and, and terrorists and old school right. th the things that we've been worried about this whole time it's not like you want to ignore that no and I, and i think that that late recent hit on sawari um in uh, afghanistan i think that shows that we can do that we can you know we can we can multitask again but uh, you're right. You don't want to take your eye off the ball. I mean, we're all tired of terrorism. We're all tired of the war on terror, which I, you know, but the extremists aren't, right? They're still pretty energized, right? They're still pretty interested in, you know, can we turn Afghanistan into a, a training ground again uh, for our interests to attack the U.S. and its allies? Yes, extremists are still very interested in doing that. So we have to stay focused in that arena, but we can't afford to put so much of our resource in that area. We've We've got to understand... Uh, where our primary concerns are, and certainly at the top of that list, look, it hasn't changed in years, right? I mean, you ask, you know, somebody in in, in uh, Washington D.C. within the military or intel community over all these years, what are your top concerns? And it's always going to be China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, um, and so China's always been up there. But the reality is, we took our eye off the ball, and we we focused elsewhere, and that degraded our ability, I'd argue, to to do what we need to do. And part of that is giving the White House, whatever administration's in charge, giving them the best intelligence you can. And to do that, you need the, the collection capabilities. That's, that's the human to, you know, we do very well on, on technical collection, right? Nobody does it better than we do, I'd argue. But, um, but a lot of times, your most important intelligence comes from a human, a, a source, right? And, and that's, 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 that's tough to do. Um, and then you need, like I said, you need the analysts who are capable and experienced enough to put together something that makes sense and allows the U.S. then to forward plan. But I guarantee you, uh, 
you know, from it's an accelerated timeline on Taiwan, and we better understand what that means. And I, I, I don't know that we, uh, I don't know that we're paying a lot of attention right now. What's the best case scenario? Like, how could this play out well? Uh, they don't do anything in our lifetime, and they leave it Oof. to our kids to worry Oof. about. Because <laughs> I don't know what else. Uh, you know, it, look, I think they're going to do something. I don't think Xi's going to step down until he's got Taiwan back in the in the fold. I think that's you know something that he probably desperately wants to accomplish on his watch. So, how much more time does he have? I, you know, he set himself up as is you know uh, president for life, basically king for life, and. So I, I think it's um, it's it's an in- inevitable conflict that I don't know that we've really thought through because we don't understand how they're capable of the Chinese military is capable of integrating all their various elements. China hasn't been at war for a long time, right? In in real terms, you know we you know we saw Russia you know engage in Afghanistan you know a few couple decades ago whatever. Um, we had a sense of what that was going to look like. Um, we still got it wrong, the assessment. You know, we got it wrong. We got their logistics capabilities wrong. We got their communications capabilities wrong. We we got wrong about how they, uh, you know, what what sort of information was being fed to Putin, uh, and how he was basing his assessments. Uh, so there was a lot of mistakes that we're hopefully what, what learning. What did we from. get wrong? Well, we got I, I, part of the, the the problem we have or had and has still have is, you know, Putin's increasingly small circle of key advisors, right? And so understanding who he's paying attention to and what, what he's – the advice that he's being given and how that then you know, formulates his actions. And so I think we, we had a real problem in assessing his plans and intentions, his motivations. And that's always a tough lift from intel perspective, right? Um, unless you've got an asset who's right next to him, you know, a key advisor, or you're just you know, tapping into his internal communications. Uh, so that was one of the things we got wrong. And then we got we, we, we didn't assess really very well, um, you know, all the – look, they got everything wrong. They, they couldn't figure out their supply lines, right? Their communications were awful. Their command and control was terrible, which is why they've lost so many generals. So they, they've, they've had a series of problems. It's even a harder lift to assess China's capabilities right now because, um, again, in part they haven't been at war for – a long time, and there's more to it, right? They, how are they going to integrate all their various military elements? How are they going to use cyber, you know, for this effort if they move on Taiwan? Um, and, you know, I don't want to say we're unprepared because we're not. We always game these things out, and we've got lots of scenarios. But I will say that, you know, we're, there's, there's a kind of a rush on to make sure that we're, we're up to speed. And so... Because again, we had our resources focused elsewhere. But you know, I, I again to your most important question, which is how does it all end? I, nobody really knows. Do you think? That, I mean, if they moved next year, do we think the Biden administration would go to war with China, or would they say, okay, we're going to we're going to supply Taiwan. Um, we're not going to put any boots on the ground. We're not going to get in direct conflict with China, um, and we'll sanction China. Well. That's a lot more difficult than it than it sounds, right? We can sanction Russia, you know, from here till Sunday, because we're not really that intertwined. We're very intertwined with with China right now, uh, from an economic perspective, and so, I, yeah, I, there's there's a there's 
a lot of questions here as to what could happen. And that and the, look, the Chinese are they're doing the same thing on their side of the table. They're trying to figure out, you know, what what are we going to do? That whole uh, "Make America First" thing received a lot of pushback from people, particularly on the left, because they looked at it in terms of like that that's a nationalistic, xenophobic, problematic perspective. Hmm. But I think a lot of people's eyes got woken up. A lot of people's eyes got opened up during the pandemic when we realized how much what we need just in terms of medication and electronics and chips, how much of it was being produced overseas and, right. and how little of what we make here is required. I mean, we we don't make enough here to run the country. We right. don't have the manufacturing capabilities that we would need to be completely independent. We're not independent. We need this stuff from other, and that can be changed, but that's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot of resource. It's going to have to take, get people on board. There's a, there's a lot of, there's so many areas we should be investing money into, and instead of 80 billion dollars into the IRS. <laughs> I, I just pulled that one out of my ass, but I just, yeah. I just, I thought I was thinking about money that the U.S. government invests, and I just remembered that they're pumping eighty billion dollars. Eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents, God. and you know, yeah. and everybody who supports that thinks they're going to go after those people that aren't paying their fair share, all those rich guys. Yeah. But the problem is, those rich guys have top-shelf accountants that are making sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. It's middle-class Americans that they're going to go after. They're going to go after yeah. people that don't have the resources. They're yeah. going to go after people that may have, uh, you know, fudged a little here and there, and they're going to bring those folks down. Right. And I mean, and and it's interesting because when they first rolled this out, um, much like a lot of things that the, the, the current administration does, and again, not that, not to, uh, you know, this, they've done some good things. They've done some, some you know, odd things, but... Um, their messaging always seems to be off, right? So they're always kind of batting cleanup. They'll, they'll, they'll do something, and the next thing you know, John Kirby or somebody's got to roll out and explain, that's not what we meant, this is what we meant. So when they rolled out this, this, the fact that there was $80 billion in there to, to uh, uh, pump into the IRS and there's 87,000 new agents, and uh, they had really no message, right? And so immediately people were just losing their shit. Yeah. And then because the Democrats... When that happens, they are very good at then circling the wagons and coming up with a, a narrative, right, and disseminating that out and making sure that everybody pushes that same talking point. And then they stick to that talking point. So the talking point then became, after a few days of, of uh, terrible uh, optics on this, was, well, the IRS has been underfunded for you know years, decades. And because of that, we haven't been able to go after the billionaires because we we haven't been able to hire all those, you know, really clever agents who can do those sophisticated investigations of the billionaires. And so this is all about refunding the IRS because it's been underfunded. We're going to improve the technology and we're going to be able to go after those billionaires finally because we'll have enough people. Okay. Um I'm not buying that. Why do you think they yeah. did it? Why do you think they decided to ramp up and hire 87,000 new IRS agents to tone of to tune rather of 80 billion dollars? Yeah. Um, look, because they want to raise money. But they how got, much they, can yeah. they raise? Well, they're they're claiming they're going to get 200 billion dollars over a period of time out of this increased effort. So they're and going to make money. Eventually, the government will make money. From who though? Uh, well, they argue nobody other than wealthy people, just wealthy people. So wealthy yeah. people that have been cheating. Yes, that's their argument is basically there's so much money sloshing around out there that the, the wealthy people haven't been paying their taxes and they've been, they've been cheating and hiding it that 
we need we need all these new agents because that's where the money is. Is there an argument there? Um, you know what? I, I is there an argument that you could probably. Uh, uh, I don't. You know, that's a good question. I don't. I mean, not, not, the, not being a, not being a wealthy person, I don't know. But I mean, I'm um, a, I, you know, I, I made an yeah. assumption earlier that yeah. I really shouldn't have that the wealthy people are paying their fair share of taxes. But I think a there... lot of them are. I think uh, I think corporations get a bad name. Look, I mean, corporations. You know, people say, "Well, look, the oil and gas company. You know, this one, you know, paid no taxes. Well, the previous year they suffered a thirty-five billion dollar loss, right? Because they were." You know, exploring and reinvesting money into the company, or whatever. So, it, there's, there's, an, there's, it's more complicated than just saying people aren't paying their fair share. But uh, look, are are people with a lot of money willing to spend some of that on accountants to make sure that they don't pay any more tax than absolutely necessary? Sure. Yeah. If I had, if I had a lot of money, I, that's exactly what I do. I would pay what I'm supposed to pay, but I wouldn't pay a penny more. Right. Yeah, that's uh, what people yeah. make arguments when they're allowed these tax loopholes. They use them because they're there. Yes, yeah. And they're yeah. they're legal. So are they going to go after people that have um, overseas accounts that are illegal? Like, what is the? How are they going to get all that money? Well, and I'm sure that that'll be a part of it. Yeah, if I'm if I'm housing money offshore, uh, and I'm not doing it in a way that's allowed, then yeah, those in, those investigations can be very complicated, um, and. So, you know, asset tracing uh, in general is a difficult process. And when you're talking about someone with, you know, a couple billion dollars and, uh, you know, several dozen entities spread around the world, um, then, yes, it can, be, it can be a complicated process. And I have no doubt that you need auditors who are, you know, financially savvy and, and sophisticated enough to do that. Uh, I always thought the IRS had those people because that's what they were doing, right? I mean, if you're a... Um, if if you're a middle class person, then theoretically you're filing your forms, right? You're doing the thing you're supposed to do, and um, it's not over. Yeah, it's overly complicated. I you know I guess what I I would say is instead of hiring eighty seven thousand new agents, spending eighty billion dollars on this process, maybe they could have simplified the tax code, right, and come up with something better. I'm not clever enough to figure out what that would be. But maybe that was an option that they could have thought of. But I think the optic is also good. We're going after the, the billionaire. That's, that's an the easy optic, argument. Yeah. yeah. That's an easy argument to make. And everyone's got, yeah, fuck the billionaire. Fuck the man. He's, you know, he's screwing us over. Um, and then that helps to lead to today's environment where a lot of people are, are jealous or envious or, or can't stand the fact that someone's got a lot of money. I mean- Well, I, they feel uh, like the system's rigged. They don't feel like yeah. the person has a lot of money because they- had an amazing product, and even though they paid their fair share, they they mm -hmm. did something that's extraordinary, so they receive extraordinary compensation. Yeah, that's not the narrative that people hear. You know, the the, the narrative that people hear is, you know, you work your ass off, you work your tail to the bone, you can barely make ends meet, and the reason for that is someone's out there stealing more than they deserve. Right, keeping not you down. that you yeah. provide exactly the amount of resources that are worthy of the compensation that you receive. Yeah, no, nobody wants to hear that message. No. <laughs> that's, no. Not, that's not satisfying. But that's what yeah. scares me is yeah. that there's so many people in this country that if they said we are going to uh, just redistribute wealth in this country in a way that it makes it equal for everyone so there's no way that anyone is poor in this country. We're just going to take the money from other people and then – but. Who's gonna do that and how that but people right. would sign up for that if we said that yeah. if they said that and They made it some sort of a way like if they framed it in a way that's gonna change the country and make it in a better a better place 
the thing that they don't understand is these greedy fucks that are out there sucking up all that money. They're sucking up all that money because that's what they signed up for. And in the process of doing that, that's how amazing things get made. Yeah. Because these people that are these greedy fucks, they are willing to work 16-hour days and put together these companies that achieve extraordinary amounts of, of money. Yeah. They, they achieve extraordinary amounts of success and uh, and they employ people yeah. and they and they create spin-off companies and they create inventions and, and patents and, and so yeah I I've always been a, a firm believer in and maybe part of it's naive because yes there are some people out there screwing the system and there are some people that are undeserving of, of massive wealth that they have because it just kind of fell in their lap or whatever who knows but I don't I, I don't really give a shit I've my theory has always been I just all I want to do is work as hard as I can I'd like to do as well as I can and that's it I just want to provide for my kids um, and I've always really held the belief that if you work a little bit harder I tell my three knuckleheads this all the time if you work a little bit harder you can do exponentially better yeah. right? you can you can achieve success but you gotta you gotta work harder and that that doesn't imply that people who aren't doing well are, aren't working hard. A lot of people are. They're right? working hard. Yeah. It's not, that's, but you have to think hard, too. You know, I had a mm. science teacher in high school that was a dork, but he had this uh, one thing that stuck with me forever. He was a really weird guy, but he said, you cannot get by in this world by just working hard. You, you have to think hard, mm. and thinking hard is more important because you have to choose which path that you're on, right. and you have to think very carefully. Because to back up and start again is far more difficult than to choose a correct path in the first place. And there's so many people in this country that feel entitled. And they feel like the government owes them something. And they don't understand where resources are coming from. They don't understand like this whole capitalism game that we're in. We just, they just think that it's rigged because they don't have it. And it's almost always particularly people that are at the beginning of this journey. Right? You're starting off. Yes. You make yeah. $50,000 a year and you find out someone's worth $50 billion. And like, well, that can't be fair. Yeah, but fair is not really what it's about. It's, you're playing a game, and you can choose to play the game as a waiter, where you have a very limited amount of money that you're ever going to make. You, this is the amount of you have good days and bad days, but this is this is the cap. Or you can choose the CEO route, where you know you can have a company and you will get bonuses, and they'll be disgustingly extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? I'll, I'll tell you, I like I've, I've got a I've got a business, right? It's a consulting firm. Can I say the name of it? Yeah. Hey, it's called uh, Portman Square Group. And I've been doing this. It was under a, a different name, and then we were able to do a management buyout. So it's Portman Square Group, where it's an intelligence and, and security services firm. Point being is it's it's our business, right? I, you know, My wife and I own. She's got a, a crisis communications firm, and so we merged that with, with all my businesses. And so point being is... Um, you know, when people hear that, I've had these conversations with people. They go, oh, you got your own firm. Right? You got your own company. You must be just, you know, rolling in dough. Right. I worry about making payroll, right, all the time. That's my primary concern is I want to make payroll. I've had people working for me for, for a decade and a half or more. And those those people are raising their kids, right? They're doing they're, – they're building a, a life they're, and have built a life. And my responsibility is to make sure that they have that, right? And that uh, there have been times when I haven't taken anything, right? I haven't to make sure I can make payroll, right? And I worry about. It. I wake up at two in the morning worrying about something, right? And uh, so it never ends. To your point, you work sixteen-hour days. I argue you never turn off, right? If we if we go on a, a you know, on a holiday somewhere, I'm just, I'm constantly worried about something, right? And 
that's just what you do. But I did it and I left the government to do this because I wanted to have possibly unlimited possibilities, right? I wanted to, I didn't want a ceiling, right? I didn't want a cap. And I knew what working for the government, I always knew what I was going to make, no matter how well I was doing. And so, I, you know, I do personally kind of take exception sometimes when people, you know, you know, piss on, you know, people who are doing well, because I don't sometimes think they see the amount of work that particularly small, you know, medium-sized companies, what, what people put into that, right? And the right. amount of effort they put into it as, as owners and, and uh, you know, proprietors of these things. And you got to work your ass off, but you're doing it in the hopes that, you know, maybe there isn't a cap, maybe there isn't a ceiling, maybe it could, this, you know, you don't know where you're going to go. And not knowing where you're going to go, I think is pretty exciting. It's a, it's a real challenge. It's interesting. But I don't know where I was going with that, but it's just, but it's, yeah. it's un- comfortable you know it's it's a if you're going to start a business you you the the unexpected the unknown it looms over everything you're you're yeah I mean, there's a reason why those guys all have heart attacks <laughs> i've had one <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's exactly what it is it's not yeah. it's not fun i mean yeah. i can't imagine running an enormous corporation i mean i'm very fortunate that we run this podcast with kind of a skeleton group mm. Because that's it's a quality skeleton group. Though. It's Jamie's the yeah. fucking he's the goat. <laughs> if if it wasn't for him, I'd have like four other people doing his fucking job, and it would be annoying. Did you see what he did when he pulled up that Dodge Charger? He's always he's he's like psychic. on the top of it. He's psychic. Oh, let me. Oh, I'm gonna try to test him on something. Um, okay, Jamie, there was a graphic, and I saw it at one point that showed what I was talking about with Huawei, with the I-25 corridor, and it showed where the regional telecoms providers is located that they've cornered the market on, this Chinese company has, and where our ICBM sites are. Oof. And it was, I forget who had the best, there it is, there look it at is. that. Look at that. So all everything that's in red is the regional telecoms, the US regional telecoms provider. And all their towers are outfitted with uh, Huawei and the ZTE and other Chinese telecom gear. Um, up and down that corridor, which connects Wyoming and Colorado, and then has these arteries running off into Nebraska, and all those dots are ICBM facilities. So that is wild. If you just think that there was some randomness to the fact that you know this Chinese company was busy uh, working with Vio to establish this, yeah. Anyway, I thought wow. that was a good graphic. Yeah, of particular concern was Huawei routinely selling cheap equipment to rural providers in cases that appeared to be unprofitable for Huawei, but which placed its equipment near military assets. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So there you go. But I mean, is there a way to (laughs) circumvent Uh, this or to prevent this without the military and the United States government being completely integrated with companies? That's a, it's a really good that's question. That's our fear, right? Yeah. Our fear is that yeah. we to beat them or to, to stop them, we become them. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question, and it's important. We've got a firewall. People don't. I, I think they're, they're obviously the skeptics and people who you know think it's the one world government or whatever. But but yeah, one of our uh, strengths and weaknesses is this sort of this firewall between the U.S. government, uh, military, and the way that we support private business, right? And by that I mean. Uh, the Chinese regime or Russia, even France, a lot of companies in, or countries in the EU even, their remit for the intel 
uh, operations there in that country is to help support their private sector, right? So intelligence that's collected can be disseminated to those companies, sometimes favored companies uh, within that country, to help uh, their development, their growth, securing additional you know contracts, beating foreign competition, whatever it is. Um, and we've always had this firewall. It says, well, we don't want to do that because favoring one company over another is going to, you know, screw up the, the idea of the free markets and capitalism and all the rest of it. So you can argue it's a strength. You can argue it's a weakness. Um, but you're right. I mean, how do we get around that? Well, in part, we get around it by bringing our capabilities, uh, you know, up to speed, doing more on our own, uh, rehousing a lot of the, the manufacturing back here in the U.S. And so these are the things that we've talked about and, and that, you know, the, this administration, previous administrations have tried to do, but it's difficult, right? It's tough. It's, it's costly. It's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not an easy process. It takes time. And sometimes it, it seems like we're not making any progress at all. So, I don't know. But what do you think the administration's done well? You said they've done yeah. some stupid things, but they've done some things well. Well, politically, they've 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 played a pretty good game politically recently. So they've had, uh, I, I think, the Chips and Science Act is is not bad. I know people saying, well, why would we subsidize you know companies that are making money you know here in the U.S. that are making lots of money? Why would we give them subsidies? And well, for the very reasons we've talked about, you got to do that. Right? That's a that's a smart move. Um, yeah, you could argue putting a cap on on uh, on uh, Medicare costs, out of pocket costs. I think. It seems like the sort of thing you can you can get behind. I mean, I'm I'm not a you know, that, I think that's a, a good move. Um, I, I think they've been hijacked by the the climate change activists and parties, so I I don't I put that in the negative corner, right? I think fine, you want to talk about it, you want to focus on doing some things, great, but um, I think as the the focus on that is a little bit insane at this point. I think one of the things on the negative column is the way they've dealt with the oil and gas industry, right? And we've seen that. Right? I mean, Germany right now is trying to figure out how to get away from, from Russia as a gas provider. Well, you know what? You know who could have helped them do this and, and helped us in the, in the, at the same time? It would have been us. We could have, if we hadn't layered on additional regulation, you know, as soon as Biden came in and he was very clear about going to war with the fossil fuel industry, you know what? Fine. You can, again, you can do Haven't things. they walked that back, though? Well, uh, I don't think in a meaningful way. They've... they've they're, they're, I think they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. I think they, they haven't eased up on regulations uh, for the oil and gas industry. So, uh, so no, they're, and these companies, you know, they, they don't make investments based on, you know, the next six months, right? They make investments on, you know, a, a fairly long timeline. So, you know, when, when Biden, during his campaign, you know, a couple of years ago, talked about he's putting an end to the fossil fuel industry, they pay attention, right? And that, and that, kind of directs where they're going. And by the way, not to, I'm, you know, I'm not lobbying for the oil and gas industry, but I am lobbying for the idea that you can do all of these various, you know, you know uh, energy initiatives at the same time. Um, they invest a, a shit ton of money in new technologies, in clean energy. You know, you look like a company like BP and they're, they're out there, you know, uh, saying we're going to make the non-carbon part of our operations our primary revenue earner in you know the next whatever 10 15 years so they're putting a lot of money into it because they realize that's a market they're doing it for capitalistic reasons because they want to make money down the road but i guess my point is they're investing in it right i think we just should be smarter but anyway so that's is part of the problem yeah. this political narrative that you 
if you want votes from people on the left, you have to say you're green, you, you support clean energy, and that the climate crisis is going to kill us all. Like, it, it's, <laughs> like you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. there's this, yeah. there's these narratives that people will. Um, I've I've talked to people that talk about like climate change, and uh, we had uh, Steve Coonan, Steve Coonan on, who is a physicist, who wrote a book called Unsettled. And uh, it's all about how the climate change is settled. You know, the climate science is settled. He's like, it's not. And he went over long-term graphs that show that what we're looking at is our lifetime, the lifetime of the people before us, and this measurable increase in in climate change. And he's like, but if you go a thousand years, which is really what you're supposed to do when you're looking at the the world, because there's been these ups and downs that have always existed, and they're very similar. That w- although we are having an impact with uh, our carbon footprint, no doubt, but these changes in terms of the temperature of the earth, this, they've always existed. The Sahara Desert used right. to be v- vast green. I mean, it would be a fucking tropical jungle 15,000 years ago or whatever it was. And these things are just an inevitable part of the cycle of earth. We have to factor that in. We can't ignore the fact that human beings are impacting climate in a negative way with our carbon footprint and with our particulates that we pump into the air. And Mm -hmm. that in, in, you know, places like, um, was it, what was it um, that we looked at? Was it South Dakota? Was it, no, Nebraska? Indiana. Indiana, right? Indiana has multiple coal plants in this one area that are so bad. Like people's cars are covered with a thin layer of soot Mm. every day. Yeah. And they're breathing in this shit. So you have a disproportionate amount of people with cardiorespiratory issues and allergies and reactions to the particulates in the area. And then people say, well, how do you fix that? Well, nuclear, clean nuclear. Mm-hmm. D- and to do nuclear-powered plants that are far more sophisticated than the ones in Fukushima with only you know, one step removed backup plan that if that fails, they're fucked, which right. is what they are. They're fucked. Right. But that's not, you're talking about old technology and that nuclear in general, the, the, if, if it's engineered correctly to modern standards, is the best version of clean energy that we're capable of producing. Right. But everybody's terrified of it because nuclear, politically, if you right. say nuclear power, everybody's like, oh, you're going to kill us all. Well, you're, you're, everybody thinks immediately of the China syndrome. Yes. Right? You know, one of those things. Chernobyl, right. Three right. Mile Island. Right. Fuck this. So I think it's, it, but yeah, I mean, look, we've, we've been making progress. Think about what London looked like in, you know, pre-World War II with the coal, you know, that was burning mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, they did literally, you know, that you, you couldn't see, you know, 10 feet in front of you because the, the, the air was so bad. China to this day still has this problem. You go to some of these cities in China and then, I mean, nobody's building coal factory or coal plants faster than China. Right. Again, um, again, not to get back on this, but but, you know, when you talk about the world and where the world's going and you talk about climate change and you talk about, uh, you know, environmental concerns. Yeah. I mean, the reality is we can do these things. We can make a change. We can try to make differences. I agree that, you know, there's no doubt we contribute to the problem. I, I, I think it's a little presumptuous to say that we're going to we're going to cool the earth in 30 years or whatever. I mean, we're going to stop this, you know, climate change from happening. Okay, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't make good faith efforts in areas that you can from a technology perspective. But, uh, you know, I, I think with if, if China, if India aren't going to make any meaningful changes, and they're not, then, you know, overall, you know, we just have to be pragmatic about what it means in terms of, you know, 
global change, right? We're going to do our part, and that's great, and we always do. But we also have to be realistic and understand what that means in terms of our national security interests. Right? And isn't also part of the problem is that these discussions, like what we're having right now, this you know we're an hour and a half, twenty minutes into this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like these these are long, drawn out discussions where there's a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of things to discuss. But politically, when people are getting elected, when they're discussing these things in terms of like trying to run for office and and trying to push a narrative that people are going to accept and be enthusiastic about for voting. These these things don't get discussed in this way. So most people don't hear these conversations unless they're listening to podcasts or unless they're listening to some long YouTube dissertation right. on it. So most people, they just have this narrative in their head. I've talked to so many people, particularly on the left, that are, you know, climate change is going to kill my children. You need to, we need to do something now. And they don't have all the information at their disposal. They just have a narrative. Right. It's a, we, we live in this, this soundbite culture, right? Yeah. We've all got attention deficit disorder, and it's all very tough to, to sit and, and watch a, a documentary or watch a, an actual newscast that starts and puts everything in context. People just don't have the time or they don't have the interest or they don't have the ability to sit still long enough to do it. Um, but but you're right. Yeah, I mean everyone, it, it, you've got, uh, you know, everyone's got like a shallow sort of level of, of knowledge about a lot of things, and a lot of that knowledge comes from social media. I mean, I don't yeah. know how many. I mean, good God, the the uh, every time you, you Twitter is a great example of that. You know, when there's an issue, you know, when um, Pelosi goes to Taiwan. Suddenly, you've, I had no idea we had so many, you know, experts on Taiwan and the politics of Taiwan and, you know, what that meant or, you know, monkeypox. Everyone's an expert on monkeypox or whatever. So people, people don't just say their opinion anymore. Right. They say it as if it's fact. Right. right. And so, yeah, they're convinced of that, but they're convinced of it without having a, a body of effort of evidence that they've got for a real research. comprehensive review real, of all the pros and yeah, cons because that takes time and everyone's busy you know putting food on the table or you know and there's so many issues to yeah. think about like this it's not just that one there's so many different yeah. things going on simultaneously but it's it is i don't know how <clears throat> i don't know how we get to a a good spot when when you're right when when both sides you know when the when the republicans when the democrats when the right when the left when they talk in these sort of very narrow terms when they can motivate their base through just a, a very thin uh, layer of information where they just throw a narrative out there and, right. and people say, yeah, that's it. That's what, that's what I believe in too. Um, and everybody's, everybody's very siloed. I, I, so I don't know how you get away from that because that would imply that you'd need to change somehow um, – you know, human nature and human nature right now is just, you know, I look at uh, shit. You look at kids nowadays and, and including my kids and, you know, you try to engage them in, an, in a conversation about something of substance and you just see they, it's hard for them to, to sit still long enough, right, yeah. to really go through it because they're so used to, you know, just changing topics or changing, you know, uh I don't know what I don't know what TikTok it is. TikTok mindset. TikTok. It's a TikTok mindset. Yeah, that's they're just it. constantly inundated with new information, new stimulus. Yeah, and that's what they're accustomed to. We took. Uh, we t- this is a complete left turn. Uh, my wife and I took the the three uh, knuckleheads to uh, to Europe for uh, July for the month of July this summer. 
we thought we were going to immerse them in some history and culture and everything. And so I thought, <laughs> all right. Good. So I, I went through this whole thing. I planned this, this little trip out. And, and uh, we started off uh, in a little village in the Cotswolds in the UK. I love the Cotswolds. It's, it's a, you know, I, have, I imagine someday I'm going to retire, move there, and just investigate the occasional murder in some quaint English village. That'll be my my. Life. That's your move. That'll be my move. It's going to be so. a CBS drama series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, me and Angela Lansbury. It's going to be great. And so, uh, murder so, she wrote yeah, European but, edition. Yeah, that's right. I'll talk like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. Uh, so, so I, I rented this little cottage in this little tiny little village and i thought you know we'll take the boys for hikes in the countryside mm. and, and uh, we'll, we'll tour around we'll look at you know some castles and some sites and everything and now mind you they you know all three of them you know like the outdoors and so the hikes were great they loved uh, that part of it but uh it was pretty clear after the first day or so that the quaintness of an english village wasn't really for them because <laughs> right. they were like all right what the fuck and 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 all three of them were like after the first couple of hours you know it's they said the wi-fi sucks in this cottage it's <laughs> <laughs> no, no wi-fi what are you talking about? and i said let's go out and look at, a, at another church and let's go you know we'll take i'll take you for a pub lunch it'll be fun and uh but it was it was fine so then we moved from there uh Went to London, but anyway, ended up in Paris at one point. And uh, we marched their asses all over Paris, right? Showing them all the sights. And including, we took them to the Louvre, to the museum for like six hours, which I'm sure for these kids, right? What are they, 15 and 13 and 11? It was kind of torture, right? At, at a certain mm. point. And um, after they looked at the sort of the Egyptian antiquities, the mummies and some of the, you know, uh, medieval swords and things. I think that was pretty much all we yeah. were done. By the way, you go in to look at the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. I, I don't know if you've ever been there. No. It's, you walk in, it's a massive, massive room, right? Because the Mona Lisa. And there, far into this room, you can barely see it, is the Mona Lisa hanging on a How wall. How close did they let you get? Um, well, you, you could get, you could probably get uh, within maybe 10 feet of it. If you could get there, but the problem is, it, this is what you're looking at. You got an entire room full of all these, of these people. You can barely get there, and it's Ooh, a crush. Wow. And every single one of those individuals is taking a picture of this, of, a of this, uh, the Mona Lisa. And so everybody, they're holding their cameras up. So I, I, I made a point of walking the boys. And said, "We're going to go see the Mona Lisa." And they were like, "What? What's up with the Mona Lisa?" I said, well, I, "We should be. We're here. We're going to go see it." We walked in, and my oldest boy, Scooter, like he walks in. Looks at it. We must have been. We were at the far end of this room. You could barely see this thing. He held up his camera and or his, fo his phone, took a picture like this, and said, "Okay, what are we going to do now?" And <laughs> we turned around. And we walked out. So we're walking them. We're walking their asses down to the, the uh, Notre Dame. And this is when I knew that we probably uh, our kids had attention deficit disorder at this point, or it just didn't have the patience. Bored. To, they're yeah, fucking bored. They're fucking bored. They're, yeah. So we're walking along. And uh, Em and I are up up ahead, and and uh, we're talking to Scooter, and the two younger ones, Sluggo and Muggsy, are, are back behind us. They're dragging their asses a little bit, right? It's hot day in Paris, and but I can hear them talking to each other, and I hear, I hear Muggsy say, "Where are we going?" And we're walking to the no Notre Dame, and <laughs> and Sluggo says, "I think it's a fucking church." <laughs> <laughs> And I looked at my wife and I said, well, I, I 
kind of think we're done. So that point of this story is that evening after we finished walking around, the sun was going down, and it is in Paris is pretty special. But the sun's going down, walking back. Most people have gotten off the streets. They just kind of everyone, all the tourists are gone, and we walk by this place, Maxime's. And Maxime's is it's kind of a burlesque place, old old school kind of burlesque place. So again, my wife and I walking up ahead. Three boys are back there somewhere, and. The oldest one, tall enough to look over the, the kind of the curtains in the front of, of Maxime's, realizes it's a burlesque show. And so I had these great pictures. I turned around, and there they are down there. They stopped, right? And, and Scooter's got Muggsy on his shoulders because he's not tall enough to look over the thing. And, and, and uh, Sluggo's hanging from this little railing. And they're staring. And they were captivated, right? French titties, right? And then... And my wife looks at me and says, are you going to gonna stop him? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to video this. <laughs> so I just took pictures. And so anyway, afterwards, I asked, I asked uh, the oldest one uh, after this month of travel. We finished up in Greece. I said, what was the best part of the trip? He said, the French titties. <laughs> and he's 15. He's 15. What do you expect? Yeah, I couldn't, what, I couldn't argue with him. And yeah. that's history. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody tried to drag me around when I was 15, I would have been just as bored. I think that's more yeah. fascinating for people with perspective and a longer life. And you get to look back and go, you know, this was thousands of years ago. These yeah. people built this. This is it's pretty incredible. crazy that we can go walk around it today. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. how uh, my kids felt at the Vatican. You know, I was beyond fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. But my kids were wow. fucking bored out of their mind. Never been to the Vatican. It's when, insane. When did you go? Uh, we went, well, we were in Rome again this summer. Uh, we didn't go to the Vatican this time though, but we went, I guess, uh, before the pandemic. So it was three years ago, maybe four. It might've been, it might've been four years ago, but, uh, the sheer amount of artwork, even for Mm. kids is, it's, it's unbelievable. Like it's a museum for people that have attention deficit because there's fucking every, there's so much. It's really like they're hoarders. Are you saying the Catholic Church has money? Yeah, I think they. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I think the IRS should investigate those motherfuckers. That's what I think. I think it's been a lot of thought. The, the uh, idea that those fucking people don't pay taxes is bonkers to me. Oh yeah. The yeah. idea that they've accumulated the kind of wealth they've accumulated, and then they've set up this thing called the Vatican, which is essentially a country yep. inside of a city. That's a hundred plus. It's like a hundred plus acres, and they they have oh. no extradition. So if someone's a, you know, a confirmed sex offender from another country, they hoard them over there, and they can do whatever <laughs> they want. I mean, that's literally the history of the country. I mean, it sounds like an. It sounds like a horrible thing to say. If you said, "Hey, this there's this one religion that's synonymous with raping kids." And they don't yeah. pay taxes. He'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, not only that, like the people that have been the Pope that are the head yeah. of this have actually moved people from other organizations where they were accused of molesting children to new places where unsuspecting kids, like uh, Ratzinger, before he was removed. That fucking guy took one particular priest that was accused of molesting children and moved him to a new place where he molested 100 deaf kids. God. That's real. I mean, there's this is all documented stuff. Yeah, no, they they spent a long time just just covering up, covering just, up and yeah. moving people around yeah. and never punishing people for yeah. it. 
and just accepting it as part of whatever it is that the Catholic Church is about, which is madness. Yeah. I mean, if it was any other, any other organization that was synonymous with molesting kids, it would be the subject of international debate. They would close them down. They would yeah. shut them. They found out how much wealth they had acquired and what, they, what they're doing with it. It's pretty stunning that it's just sort of legacied in. Well, I think they, I guess it's like everything else, right? It's all it's very layered. So you have the people who um, are a part of the religion who are disgusted by that, and, yes. and, and and then you've got people who somehow are able to kind of look the other way and find accommodation with it in the sense of okay, well, I, I'm still a devout Catholic, and despite all the flaws in the structure of this operation. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. But. Yeah, that's most people. Most yeah. people that are Catholic are good people, and they they subscribe or they ascribe to the best aspects of the religion. Yeah. Be a good person, you know. Follow the good book, and you know, go to church because it's a, a great structure for ethics and morals, and you know. And then they hear about this stuff that they don't want to hear about. They get angry. Yeah, you know, that's one area we haven't. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, not that this is apropos of absolutely anything, but. And I'm sure everybody was curious about my religious beliefs, um, but I feel I do feel like I, I kind of dropped the ball on providing some kind of religious platform, right, for the kids, right. And I think I don't know what that would have been, but I do think that there's, in a sense, it's nice to have something bigger than yourself, whatever that is, yeah. right, and the community that that used to provide. And I think part of the problem in today's world i think is people don't have enough community and whether it's their neighborhood their church whatever it is but having said that eh, we didn't you know sunday would roll around and i'd be like eh, yeah I'd go mow the lawn or something you know and it just it never became a part of what we do i think it's historical like in, in terms of like human beings human beings have always had some sort of a structure of belief system that they subscribe to. And this has always been the case with tribes, with l large communities of people. There's, there's always like a belief system that they use that's beneficial to the greater good of the community. Yeah, I think if you just, maybe because I was lazy and I didn't invest time in, in figuring that out in terms of what to do with the kids, um, I think I just landed on some spot that said, look, try to do the best you can, right? Live the best way you can, right? And you're kind of playing the odds, right? If there is something bigger out there and, you know, I finish up tomorrow and get hit by a bus or whatever, um, then, you know, I've played the odds. I tried to be a good person. And if there is something bigger, then great, right? Um, I don't know. It's, it's a pretty rudimentary way of looking at, at life. But I would like to think there's something other than just – you know, you die and you're done, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, well, that's the, you know? the the greater picture. But just in terms of like uh, a moral scaffolding, and just in terms of having some sort of structure, a, a way that people genuinely agree will be better for everybody. Mm -hmm. That's one of the good things that a church provides. If it's a good church and it's a good religion, it it provides people with a structure. It gives people peace. It makes people feel better, and it brings people together to worship together, and they. They leave there hopefully with a, a a better feeling of community. Yeah, yeah, and I think for a structure for kids too. You know, yeah. um, there's there. I think there's something to be said about that about the community of a of a church, and again, sort of that idea that it's there's there's a bigger 
something, right? Yeah. And I, I, you know, again, I, I, the the problem I always had with organized religion was when people, a religion would say, and, and we have a lock on it, right? Yeah. You're thinking like, I, I don't know. I don't think that's actually how it should or, or how it works. I don't know right. if one religion has has a lock on the truth. Um, well, so. I think we have religions in this country, which. Is, we have religions for secular people, and that, that's like, I mean, Mark Andreessen had a very good rant about what woke is, that woke is these these people that believe in yeah. the progressive movement, they, they treat it as a religion. There's excommunication, there's punishment, there's there's uh, rules that you can't question, there's things yeah. and, and, and guidelines that must be followed or you'll be punished. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Yeah, you could argue climate change is a religion. You yeah. could argue, I guess you could argue any, I mean. A lot of yeah, things. Yeah. Um, Political ideologies. Yeah. They're, they, they're, we treat them like religions in the absence of religions. I think that's almost like a default way that human beings look at things. Yeah. Not to, not to dive into a minefield here, but I was, I was surprised that they overturned Roe. I will say, I was, maybe I was stupid and wasn't paying attention, but I thought we'd kind of moved on. And I don't know. I just I was. What do you think that was yeah. about? Why Why do you think that uh, that took place? Well, I mean, clearly because we ended up with more conservative judges on there than than not. I think right. they were just trying to return the issue to the states. Um, I don't know how you have, and I'm in a state, um, Idaho, where they you know they the state legislature was going to put some crazy ass, you know, rules in place. You know, like, I, I don't know whether it was a trigger law or not, but basically saying almost no cases could be, you know, considered uh, uh, allowable for abortion. I, I, I just, again, I'm sort of that mindset that says, you know, reasonable people could have come up with a reasonable solution. Yeah. There, which said, you know, do you want to abort it at, you know, nine months in one day? Uh, well, no, probably not. Um, but do you want to leave it there, there to be, uh, you know, a, good options for a woman to make that decision on her own. Well, yeah. So, I mean, come a, find, yeah. a, find a fucking middle ground here. But I have been surprised by the number of states. I, again, I'm clearly not paying attention. Well, Texas has brought it down to six weeks, which is crazy. Yeah. It's like you, you your period's late, and then it's too late. Yeah, you just don't know. And, yeah, you and, don't know. Yeah. Um, so I don't... But, I, you know, I was... I always, for a while, I always thought I was reading the tea leaves pretty well in terms of any administration and, and, and where things were going from a policy perspective. But um, I, I mentioned it to my wife. I said, boy, I, was, I, I didn't read that one well. I just it's, didn't see that coming. And she, it's also in know, terms of people that were on the fence that were, you know, kind of like leaning Republican because of the way the country's going economically and all the, the different things that are have been put in place by this administration that people disagreed with that they think is damaging to the economy and damaging to the overall quality of life. And so they were like on the fence, and then that comes along, and we go, oh, well, this comes with that shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. fuck that. Right, and I think that's that's going to be the thing, and, and and it's always been that it's always been that topic that's like kicked the, the you know the Republicans, the conservatives in the ass, right? But they can't let it go, right? They just, yeah. And I I get it. Okay, you're going to have a, you're going to have a segment. There's a sliver there of, of of devout religious people who just say absolutely in no circumstances. And I'm thinking, well, okay, well then <laughs> what the fuck? But they're also I, I don't know. It's it's like I said, it's a minefield. I guess I shouldn't have brought it up, but it's it's. It was uh, it was surprising. I do think it's going to kick the Republicans in the ass. They're not going to. They'll probably take the House, but probably not as big a margin as they thought. 
because I think it will cause people to think. No, mm, I think yeah, it most certainly yeah, will. Yeah. It's uh, there, and there's also talk about going after contraception. There's people that want to take it to the next level, <laughs> like, yeah, I know. which is really yeah. wild. Yeah. In yeah. terms of preventing pregnancy and, you know, preventing pregnancy with the uh, Plan B pill, preventing pregnancy even with condoms. There's people out there that <laughs> yeah, you get far outlaw, enough out. They get outlaw condoms. They think sex should be for procreation. They think that abstinence is something you can actually teach people. Wow. Which is hilarious. Wow. That's like getting a semi-drunk person and, and telling them no more drinks. Yeah. Can like, you imagine if sex was only for procreation? It's crazy to yeah, think. So you look at somebody with has got two kids and you think, you poor son of a bitch. What are you going like, to do about the porn industry? Yeah. You going to outlaw that? <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the dirty little dark secret of America and most of the world. It's a, a, a giant industry that people want to pretend doesn't exist. Yeah. That is, uh, I mean, consumed by what percentage of the population? Some enormous percentage. Either it's like a small percentage that's consuming an enormous amount of it. <laughs> like, I, mean, I don't think it's been investigated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's been investigated, but the sheer yeah. amount of traffic that's really... Okay, what is the percentage of internet traffic that is pornography? Let's look at that. Because the, the actual data, I think the actual, like when you look at the gigabytes and terabytes of data that's just porn that's on the internet. I now, think mind you, a, a, a terabyte is... A terabyte is like... A thousand megabytes. Yeah, it's like seventy thousand gigabytes. I think it's like seventy million pages of data. It's a terabyte. So let's see what it says: internet pornography by the numbers, a significant threat. How much of the internet consists of porn? Click on that one. Website and mobile searches: thirteen to twenty percent. Thirty percent of internet content is porn. <laughs> is it true that seventy percent of internet traffic is? No. Uh, what is that? Let's do this. It's consumed. I heard this. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we seem to be about a third, a third or so of internet traffic is somewhere porn. around thirty percent. Okay, porn sites get more visitors each month than that's two thousand thirteen though. Okay, now let's break this down by a third of is, is is porn. Now let's break it down by types of porn. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yes, right. I How much that. is we babysitter want, porn? We don't want to. We don't want to go. <laughs> How there. much is stepmom <laughs> and babysitter porn? Internet porn, pornography. It says thirty five percent there. Uh, what does it say? 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. That is incredible. But 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. What is regular? About 200,000 Americans are classified as porn addicts. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure. Wait a minute. Every day, this, this I, I got to disagree with it. That can't be an accurate number. Every day, 37 porn videos are created in the U.S. It can't be just, what, what 37? That's it? That's it? That can't 37 right. pornographic videos are created in the United States every day. 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. Wow. Who the hell's doing that? 68 million search queries are related to pornography. 20, but only, but they don't really look. They just, I'm just curious. I'm I'm searching. Just, uh, I'm, I'm doing research. 25% yeah. of total searches is porn. 116,000 queries related to child pornography these, are received. These Holy numbers shit, are a little every day. screwy. Can you bring that number? Could bring it down just a little bit, Jamie? The, um, the top every, okay, every second. Okay, every second. Oh. Wait a minute. Every, every second, second twenty-eight thousand two hundred and fifty-eight users are watching pornography on the internet. Uh, every second, three thousand dollars is being spent on pornography. That's cheap. Who's, spend, who's spending money on porn though now? 
days. I, I, only 372 only people. Look at this. Every second, only 372 people are typing the word adult. That, wow. seems, that seems low. That's a lot, though. One third of porn viewers are women. Really? Or do they identify as women? One third. Where did you say? Oh, one yeah. third of porn viewers are women. How right. online pornography affects Americans. Is it one third are double X chromosome? Or one third, you know what I'm saying? Because, like, what percentage of those people are identifying as women with male genitalia? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be a number. Or looking at women with male genitalia. Yeah. yeah. Oh Jesus. It's uh, but that you know that's the. I mean, if they want to outlaw contraception, how that's far the away is this thing? I've heard. In yeah. A while. It's, it's not a small amount of people that want that. There's yeah. a lot of people that think that sex should be for procreation only. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, none of those people, anybody wants to fuck. No. It's kind of crazy. No. Nor could they. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, that's, that's a, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a crazy thought. Because if you say, okay, if you're in a state that wants to essentially uh, ban all abortions, you know, uh, and then they also want bad contraception. And they, okay, so they want religion. What they do want... you? Yeah. What do you? I mean, in terms of your responsibility for taking care of all those additional mm, children, then. Yeah. How's that work? I don't know. Um, That's what jails for. <laughs> That's a, cages. That's what cages along the border are for. Oh God. Um, so uh, just weird. It's it's weird our way of looking at things. Well. So it's, blind. Yeah, it's um, again. I, I I don't think maybe I'm romanticizing some past era. I don't. I guess I am because I, maybe there was never a time when reasonable people found common ground and and you know you could compromise and and find policies and and create uh, legislation that you know could take the best from both sides. And there you go. So maybe that actually never happened. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit like the idea you think about. Oh, we're going to have the family over for Thanksgiving and everyone's going to get along. It's going to look like a Norman Rockwell painting and it doesn't happen. You know, everyone's pissing and moaning and arguing with each other. So I think, but the older you get, maybe the, you know, the more you think, well, back in the day we used to compromise, you know, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill would sit in the back room and, you know, have a drink and they'd get some good piece of legislation done. I don't know. That seems like a thing of the past. Yeah. And I think uh, part of that you could attribute to Donald Trump. Like the polarization of this country has never been more extreme. Yeah, yeah, and, I, I 100% agreed. But he's coming back, and yeah. I don't know if you remember this. I think it was pre-pandemic when maybe it was pre-pandemic when we made a bet. I think I bet you a thousand bucks that said Trump was not going to run again. So you owe me a thousand bucks. Well, well, he hasn't. He hasn't. He's gonna run. Yeah, I, they're I'm, trying to. Yeah, stop I'm probably it gonna lose happening. that. But yeah, 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 I think you're gonna. Yeah. Why did you want to bet that? Why would you think he wouldn't run again? Because I was being optimistic and thinking that you know we'd move on and we'd we'd uh, we'd uh, find you know different candidates and and uh, we'd. I, I guess because I was a fucking idiot. Um, well, there's apparently, just, uh, there's a, a large swath of this country that thinks the election was stolen. Which yeah. people have, need to understand, that has always been the way a large swath of Americans, both on the left and the right, have felt about elections. There was a um, documentary on HBO, God, what was it called? I forget, but it was uh, all about voting machines and how hackable voting machines were. 
this is the Diebold machines that oh, yeah. disproportionately contributed to the Republican Party, this company, this corporation that did this, and they made these machines. And so Hacking Democracy was the name of the documentary. And they proved in this documentary that they can affect these machines with third-party input. So it wasn't just a matter of one person voting, the other person collecting it, that a third person could come in and manipulate the numbers, mm -hmm. and that they had access to these machines in that way, that these machines were actually set up for third-party input. And this was terrifying to me because they said, oh my God, the Republicans are going to steal the election, right? And that was, yeah. the, that was the thought process behind it. And now it's, oh my God, the Democrats have stolen the election. It's yeah. like they felt like... John Kerry got robbed when he ran against uh, George Bush. Yeah, I mean, and Al Gore. I mean, Al Gore got yeah, robbed. Yeah. They, they, there's always been this section of the country that, and yeah. that's very dangerous. It's dangerous, A, if it's accurate, right? But it's also dangerous if it's a narrative. If people don't believe that we live in a democracy, so when someone does win, even if they win legitimately, which, you know, would be great. That's best case scenario. But people don't want to believe. Yeah. They're yeah. always going to say that. That well, was the case if, in 2016 when Trump won. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Hillary Clinton, that's a good example. She spent yeah. the next several years arguing that she had won. And, but you're right. Uh, Trump, because of his demeanor, is, is the way that he yes. interacts with people um, and his social media usage. We'd never really seen that before. Also, um, the way he's yeah. ramped up dumb people. Yeah. Like <laughs> the really dumb people that don't look in, that all they do is just like fucking rah, rah. And they don't look at this in terms of like, what kind of an impact does this have? If you, you can't just think of your side and like, I want our side to win. Because it's supposed to be one side. It's supposed yeah. to be the United States of America. We're a community. We're a group of people. We bond, we, we're all bound together. And we, we do get together in times of great conflict, like post 9-11. Yeah. I would say that 9-11 like was a horrible thing. But one thing that came out of it that I found inspiring was how many American flags were on people's cars immediately afterwards. It's like people yeah. on the right and on the left, it was like one of the rare times in the world where people joined together in this country and said, hey, we are faced with a, a threat from outside and we need to all yeah. group yeah. together because this could happen anywhere and everywhere and this is the time to be patriotic. And we, and we hadn't really seen that since World War II. Right. Right. I mean, that was, I mean, with the exception of the Japanese American interns, uh, yeah, they didn't actually probably feel the same way. Yeah. But um, we hadn't seen that, and I think it 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 was a it was an interesting lesson for a lot of people, but it wasn't really learned. Right. It was it was a moment in time, and we don't tend to. It's like a lot of things we do. We don't tend to learn from anything in any particular moment we're, we're impacted by it on an emotive level we think okay great but no one's looking back and saying okay you know here's what we need to do in order to be one country in order to be you know focused on what does it mean you know to you know, move the needle as as one people right as it, it just doesn't happen so and i think you're right trump was a you know because of the nature of the beast it just was part of it um I mean, you look at you look at the reaction to the Mar-a-Lago raid, and the immediate reaction of, of like the Department of Justice and the Bureau are, you know, are are fucking us over, and they're doing. There's it's the same thing. If you if you lose your uh, your faith in the the systems, right? Whether it's law enforcement or it's the justice or whatever in the country, just like with the political system, it is a very dangerous thing. Yeah. And you can always argue that okay, you know. Uh, 
are they having problems? Can they do better? Do they need to adjust? Was this a mistake? Whatever. But that's different than losing faith in the system. Right. And so. that's one of the things that bad actors from other countries are promoting. And that's one of the weird things about these troll farms and yeah. these social media campaigns that they do, do via bots and via yeah. hired actors. Like they're making people more frustrated and argue more about this by design. Yeah, because again, nobody nobody scratches the surface. They read something. It's like what you were saying before. They read something and that's it. That's their narrative. That's what they, yes, that, I believe that. And it's a fact. It's not just something I've read, and I'm not going to try to figure out who actually, you know, posted that or who put it down. So, and and Russia's a, a great example of that. Russia does that better than China even. China is engaged in it, and China is, is working hard to influence U.S. public opinion about policies that relate to China or what they view as things of in in their interest. But Russia, at the end of the day, is, is you know, they're at the top of the heap of, of uh, state-sponsored operations trying to influence what's going on here in the U.S. So, and it's effective. Very effective. And, yeah. the, and it's interesting because, you know, Elon Musk is a, a fairly polarizing character as well. And his desire to figure out how many bots there are on Twitter before he purchases it was met with so much resistance from people that are somehow or another opposed to him, whether they're opposed to him because he's a billionaire or opposed yeah. to him because of his tweets or whatever it is. It's like, hey, that's really important because th these bots aren't just used by like people fucking around. These bots are used by people that are trying to, they're trying to encourage dissent. Yeah. They're trying to encourage arguments. They're trying try to encourage and erode our faith in our institutions. Yeah, and 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 they are very sophisticated. They're very good at it. And you know, whether they're trying to foment um, racism, oh, you know, it's a it's a fundamentally racist country. So, you know, let's right. work on that. That's a that's if you're like listing out things that as a as a foreign uh, nation that doesn't have our best interest at heart. If you're Russia, you're saying, here's what I want to do. Yeah, you're going to look to create dissatisfaction within the country for a variety of things. Your way of life, the quality of your life, the belief in, in you know, uh, the justice system, whatever it might be. Oh, uh, yeah, the political system's screwed because it's, it's all rigged. Right? Those are the things that you do. And, 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 and again, we don't we're not very good at it. We talked about it, uh, you know, coming out of 2016 and, and you know, over the past handful of years. But, again, it's, uh, it's, it's not a substantive discussion, right? And shit that gets investigated, people, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get all up in arms on Capitol Hill and, and politician will insist on an investigation. But, you know, Washington, D.C. is, yeah, it's a place where investigations go to die. Nothing ever happens, right? Nothing ever results from these things. What do you think... This this the raid was that justified? Um, well, I'll caveat this by saying it's it's speculation because I you know I haven't seen the affidavit. No, I, you know not many people have. So, um, but then I'll start by saying it's yet another uh, self inflicted wound by Trump. Right? He didn't need to end up like that. He the departure from the White House was fairly chaotic, as you can imagine, right? That's just the nature of what they were doing. They, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't the level of, of 
uh, organization. You know, it wasn't a very buttoned-up administration, right? And it was in part because they had a lot of churn in, in, in personnel and all this. But you know, you can you can argue that every administration has some back and forth with the National Archives over what is and isn't presidential record, what they can keep as their own personal material, and what has to be Why held by the government. Why would they keep it? Like, what's the what would would be a reason? Well, I mean, if it's if they consider it personal correspondence, or they consider it, um, you know, information that that um, you know is not uh, classified and and is just material that. You know, one day can end up in a presidential library, or they can use to write a book when they finish up, and they want to, you know, make a few hundred million dollars on a book. Then, fine. But there's always typically some back and forth that goes on about okay, what is and what 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 isn't, and what can be kept. But you know, that requires a process, right? And that requires, you know, there's there's protocols involved for saying what you can what you can take with you, right? And you, but you can, and so if they had done that, if they'd done the right thing they wouldn't have ended up in this situation. And what they did was they, once again, you know, Trump is able to like suck all the oxygen out of the room, right? And and it's just, it's one of those things that I think was just unnecessary. Was it, was it, was the raid justified? Uh, I don't know, because I don't know what, what the specific documents were that they really had a Jones about. They were been negotiating this for some time, right? They'd been talking to them and going back and forth and they discussed what, you know, what they had and how is it stored and all the rest of it. And they'd gotten 15 or so boxes earlier. Um, why they didn't just do that all in one, you know, effort and say, okay, we need, we have more documents. Maybe it was taking the archives a while to understand what was and wasn't in the materials that were returned or was, so I, I don't know. I just do think, you have suspicions that it was a pol- political maneuver? That um, it was that the design was to cast more bad light on Trump and eliminate him from the twenty twenty four elections, or well, try to figure out a way to diminish his appeal. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there were there there politics in the sense that um, you know there a lot of you know folks up on Capitol Hill who took delight in it, right, and and found it to be you know. Uh, uh, really good piece of entertainment. But if you say politics from the, the FBI's perspective, um, from the Department of Justice's perspective, um, I, I mean, I know a number of, of guys that work for the Bureau, and I know them to be really solid people. They're just, they're street guys, they're investigators, they do their job, they're very, very good. I don't know anybody senior in the DOJ or at the Bureau, so I don't know how politicized they are and whether that played into it or not but i uh, you know people that are actually engaged in the in the search you know that show up uh at mar-a-lago they're they're doing their job right and they've been told this is what we have to do you know i think that it was such an extraordinary step and so unprecedented that um you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong once they release the affidavit and we all find out what was what was sitting there. But I can't help but think that they they had a reason why they said no. We can't we can't just keep dragging along here because we're not getting the responses we need. So we do need to go in. We need to knock on the door. Say, look, we've got to you know. Now, I I do suspect that they could have uh, approached it differently, you know, and not had the presence they had and everything. But um, who knows? It, again, it's this is the problem we live in in this world today. There's 
immediately after that took place, there were people on the left and people on the right who were absolutely sure they had exactly the information to make a decision about what this meant and, and why it was done or why, you know, why it shouldn't have been done. And that's part of our problem. You know, you, you know, the unsatisfying answer is you got to wait and find out what exactly occurred to see whether it was justified or not. But nobody wants to hear that, right? It's like after a terrorism incident, everybody wants an answer immediately. Right? Well, it's an investigation, and those things take time. You know, all I can say is the folks I know at the bureau are, are really quality people. But do people at the top of an organization uh, are they more politicized? Well, sure, there's a tendency for that to happen, right? Because that's you know they've been around a long time. They're at that at that position because you know they work closely with you know politicos or whatever. But I don't know. It doesn't really answer your question. I've just spent a lot of time talking there in circles. But well, it's just, you know. it's all it's so confusing for someone like me. It's like going, well, what is what's going on here? Is this all? Is there more than meets the eye, or is this like clearly an example of him doing something that is a hundred percent forbidden? But he feels like he can do it because he's Donald Trump, and he feels like the rules don't apply to him. I mean, that's the that's what the fear is, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I, I think he's he certainly always pushed the envelope. I don't think it's any. It, it, nobody can really argue the fact that he's kind of used his own playbook, right. you know, all along. And, and and you know, you can't just say. And then, then people, he's he's saying things like, "Well, I declassified the documents." You know, they're all declassified. Well. You can't just click your heels and say these documents are declassified, right? There's a process that takes place. Otherwise, it's a complete fucking goat rope, right? right. Nobody knows what's classified, what's not. You know, you can't just in your presidential head say, okay, I'm declassifying everything related to, you know, whatever this was. Does a president have the ability to declassify things? Sure, unilaterally. Yeah, unilaterally. So he could declassify documents and then conceivably store these documents. Yeah, but there's a process for that. Right. I and mean, did he and, not go through the process? Based on what has been reported so far, but again, without the affidavit, without the specific details, who knows? But if there's documentation that's not cataloged and marked as declassified, right? That's again, that you know, it has to show that. If you've got a document that's you know, top secret, you know, code word, and you look at it and it's marked top secret, you know, um, code word, then. You know, you have to assume it's still classified, right? And just the mere fact of him saying, oh, no, you know, last year I declassified that. It's, that doesn't hold water. You can't, you know, he has to follow protocol. And that's where I think he slips up is he doesn't necessarily believe that applies to him or he's just not, you know, it's just not the nature of. He's not compliant. Yeah. So, so and then he's, isn't he suing now to get <laughs> is, documents yeah. back? Yeah, he is. And also to have information not, um, not released. I, I think part of this problem, again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with the transparency of the U.S. government. When they talked about this in this little conference room in DOJ, wherever they talked about it, and they said, uh, you know, we, we're thinking about conducting a raid, and the Bureau doesn't like to use the word raid, or DOJ doesn't like to use the word raid, but when they said, we're talking about doing a raid on the, on the, the home of the former president... They probably should once again, from a messaging perspective, step back and thought to themselves, okay, what, is, what does that mean? How are we going to justify this? Not that they have to, but they should have known how, what a firestorm it was going to create. And so they should have had that completely buttoned up and ready to go the moment they were going to do it and be as transparent within the limitations of what they can do, right, of what they were doing and why they were doing it. 
because if they don't, they create all that open space, right? And that's where everyone jumps in and starts declaring what exactly happened without knowing what the fuck happened. Right. And then you get all this misinformation and disinformation, and and it's another fucking you know goat rope. So it, it's it you know it's a it's a process that I think you know they the uh, attorney general probably should have uh, handled better because he had to authorize it. They also had to go in if the White House says they didn't know anything about it. That's where I'm going to call bullshit. Right? The White House saying we had no idea that the AG was authorized to search the president, former president's home. Yeah, probably that's not the case. They're gonna ha- you you have to assume they got to walk in, sit down, and say, "Sir, we got a little something we got to talk to you about." And yeah. Just let you know this is coming down the pike. Yeah. So how does that play out? You think? Do you think that is it nothing? Is it all much ado about nothing, and will it not impact him, or will it be a significant factor? Yeah, I think I'm going to lose that thousand dollars to you because yeah. I think it's, I think he's going to run again. I don't think it's going to stop him from from running. Um, I think they'll uh, they'll realize this. You know, the, the 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 hard left is saying, "Oh, he's got you know the world's most dangerous secrets held at Mar-a-Lago, right?" And the right is saying, eh, "You know, he declassified it all. There's nothing there." And the truth is like it typically is, is somewhere probably in the middle. And in the middle, they're probably going to realize they don't have anything to indict them on. They're not going to do it. It's going to be like all these other things that they were kind of going after. And, you know, um, so I'll be cutting you a check if you take a check. <laughs> I, I, could, I could Venmo you or PayPal. Yeah. yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, I do those things nowadays. Uh. So for someone like me who's on the outside just trying to pay attention to as little as I can and still talk about it, it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah it is uh it's odd it's fucking odd um if you think about it i mean we could end up with biden and trump running again in 2024 i don't think biden's gonna run i don't think it's possible i think he's so deteriorated i think he's gotten to this point where you know we're only two years in and he's already completely fallen apart where he can't form sentences anymore I can't imagine they're going to look at him as a viable candidate in 2024. I mean, a large percentage of the Democrats don't want him to run. Yeah, that seems to be the case for sure. Um, And no one's excited uh, about Kamala Harris. They got that lady tucked away somewhere. Oh, God. I I don't know what she's doing. I I really don't know what her job is anymore. But but you're right. The problem is he's going to have to make that call, right? So he's got to make that decision to say, I'm not running in 2024. Therefore, he clears the decks. And then you get this mad scramble of a couple dozen people chasing him because I think you're right. In 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 previous times they would have deferred to the VP, right? I don't think they're going to do that. Yet. No. They're not going to they're not going to do that. So you're going to have this this uh this free for all um where you get people like Gavin Newsom, Pete Buttigieg, uh probably Bernie Sanders again. Really? And yeah, I think he's he, even yeah. older than Biden. I know, but he's entertaining. Um and uh you get you're just going to get a host of characters coming in. Uh, because I don't think they're going to say, fine, we'll clear the decks for, for Harris. So I agree with you 100% on that one. But um, It doesn't yeah, look yeah. good. Yeah. It does, uh, well, There's no like, yeah. real like, exciting options. 330-plus million people. I forget what the population of the U.S. is nowadays, but 330-plus million people, and these are the options we get. Nobody right? wants to do that job. It's okay. a terrible job. Well, plus you also get the primaries, and yeah. they vote for the hard edge, You know, so you get that person who says i'm all for you know clean energy you know, climate change is the number one problem vote for me 
And then you get the people on the far right that say, I'm all about banning abortion and contraception and porn. And so the hard right, you know, maybe the conservatives on the hard right vote for them. And that's what happens in the primaries. And yeah, so you, unfortunately, you, because yeah. you get the registered people that are yeah. voting. And you get that self-selection that, that just fucks us over. Um, you know what we haven't talked about is uh, the fact that uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians are lobbing missiles at each other near uh, the uh, Zaporizhia uh, nuclear power plant. Yeah. yeah. We talked about nuclear power. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's a crazy situation right there. And there's just so much interesting shit happening in the world, right? I mean, this is, it, it is a fascinating time if you think about what we're living through right now. It's just people are so scared they can't be fascinated. It's it's it would be nice yeah. if we knew how this plays out. We don't have to worry. Like let's just <laughs> yeah. watch it play out because there's only one way it can go. But yeah. it can go so many different ways. And worst case scenario is nuclear war. That's what t- people are terrified of: hypersonic weapons. People are terrified of yeah one world government. I mean, it's this Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum talk, and they're like, Jesus Christ, who is that guy? Yeah. What the fuck is going on over there? Well. You'll have nothing, and you'll be happy? Like, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, the hypersonics thing, you know, the Chinese military has developed a a pretty capable, you know, hypersonic, you know, uh, weapon. Um, Do we? We we have been testing, right? Um, And it's all about... It's all about glide vehicles, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating field. We need to be putting, I think, more resource into it. Um, when you say glide vehicles, what do you mean by that? Well, imagine a, 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 a missile you know, carries a, uh, a hypersonic glide vehicle on its back, goes up into orbit, and then basically just lets this thing go. And the thing about a, a, a hyper, a, a, the next generation of hypersonic, because ICBMs are you know, hypersonic. I mean, that just means over whatever, five, uh, Mach 5 in terms of speed. But they have a, a planned trajectory, and you can yeah. predict that. Uh, but, the you know, a, a hypersonic glide vehicle is traveling uh, above Mach 5 and also is maneuverable. And that makes it, uh, you know, a, 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 that that's very difficult to defend against. Because you so can't predict the trajectory. You can't predict its trajectory and, and also just the timing and the speed with which it's moving uh, and the uncertainty of its, of its flight path. And so... Uh, yeah, the Chinese are, are uh, you know, uh, they've been spending an ungodly amount on their research and also efforts to, once again, steal information. We've been developing. We've been working hard uh, to do that. But other areas, you know, you talk about uh, quantum computing. That's an area where we've got to get ahead of the game. Whoever, Russia, China, the U.S., yeah, those Russia, China, the U.S., it's always the top three. Um are feverishly working uh, to uh, develop quantum computing. And that's great, and everybody thinks, okay, yay, we'll get to that point. Um, and that just means when you're, when you're there, it's, you know, the, the speed, the capabilities of, of quantum computers you know, surpass sort of the classical computing thing. But the problem there is, and, it, and it's great for the, the future of, yeah, um, AI and a variety of, you know, uh, science is terrific. But what it also means is you can defeat in a very simple way, and I'm going to oversimplify this, but quantum computing, once it's, it's, it's developed uh, sufficiently, once you're post-quantum, then uh, you can defeat the cryptography that's on sort of the classical computer systems, right, that handle uh, the cryptography that's, that's 
basically protecting our uh, national security communications, our military communications, the financial tra- transactions on the internet, right, that we all rely on. Um, so part of it is, yeah, it's great for future development of science and technology, but there's this real concern over, you know, if, uh, if, if uh, again, a nation that doesn't have our best interests at heart develop this and get kind of are in the lead on this, then the, suddenly they can defeat the, you know, cryptog- uh, cryptographic capabilities of, of our communication systems. And that's a real problem. So I guess what I'm saying is there's some areas that we need to be focused on putting more money into. Um, and so every time I read that we're putting $80 billion in the IRS or $370 billion into, you know, into uh, subsidies for green energy, just wondering, okay, yeah, I understand why it's appealing to some people, but maybe it's not in our best interest. So. And this quantum computer thing, like, we have those though, right? Yeah, we've, we, we've, we're, we, uh, Japan, Germany, Friday, again, Russia, China, we've been developing and working on quantum computing, but, you know, it's, it's not where it needs to be yet, right? So it's, it's still in the, uh, development stages, right? It's still in sort of the nascent stages of where it's going to go. And and so if you think about it, we could be, I think they were talking about like 2030 or so, right? It would be sort of that moment in time when we're at whatever they call it. I've, I'm not a, obviously not a tech guy, but computer or quantum uh, supremacy or something. Yeah. So, so we're busy now. The U.S. government is actually focused on this. They're trying to say, okay, we need to uh, improve all our systems so that they are capable of defeating what that means down the road um, at that point. So it's, I guess what I'm saying in not a very eloquent way is um, there are a lot of areas for concern that the U.S. government needs to be focused on. And um, I just hope that, you know, this administration and the next one, uh, whoever they are, maybe, um, understand it just seems our, our timelines are accelerated, right, for concerns that we, we maybe had no vision on even five or ten years ago, right? And the world, it strikes me, is, is it's a little bit more of a dangerous place right now, um, you know. And so I think we, we need to kind of get back to it. I agree with what you said before, which is every time you talk about U.S. first or, you know, um, you know, U.S. Patriotism. Uh, patriotism, U.S. focus, that you get a whole segment of society that looks at that here in the U.S. and goes, oh, you're being nationalistic. So that's, right. that's the wrong thing to do. But, you know. But in response you know, to what's happening in the world, it's really the only logical way to look at it, isn't it? It's how everybody else with any resource is looking at it. Right. And right. if we're going to compete with them. But that's what gets scary. It's like, what is the solution? Is it complete integration of the government in, in businesses the way China does it? Is it something different? And this... With the widespread distribution of quantum computing, I mean, what does that look like in 10 years, 15, 20 years? If, if cryptography no longer exists, if there's no passwords don't mean anything anymore and all intellectual property is available to anybody and everyone, that's, yeah. that's yeah. weird. Yeah, then, it, then it's, uh, it's a utopia because we'll all hold hands and it'll be a community of nations. And we're all or get along. we're all involved in <laughs> one world digital currency that's controlled by the state. Are you invested in crypto? I got a little bit. Yeah. But I'm confused about the future of that, too. You know, I mean, uh, this whole idea of uh, decentralized currency was very attractive to people. 
But now the government is talking about a centralized digital currency that they control. Yeah. And what comes with that, of course, is some sort of a, a social policy that regulates and, you know, dis distributes what, what, what access you have to it based on your social credit score. And yep. that's terrifying. That's what China has. That's and what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what that's what a nation, you know, uh, like China is is focused on. Um, I, you know, I I would have assumed that once they start talking about um, government regulation of of cryptocurrency, that the whole shift would, would everybody's focus would go elsewhere. Right. Because it, it completely takes away the attractiveness of the of, of that space and the whole value of it was i always imagine was essentially i'm oversimplifying but the lack of of uh government uh, regulation and dependency so um yeah i don't know where it's gonna go i uh you know i'm a i'm a old school kind of investor i probably should be embarrassed to say i don't have any crypto in my investment portfolio but I don't have much of an investment portfolio. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that invested in crypto that lost a shit ton of money when it all kind of fell apart recently, too. That's the yeah. thing. When things get weird, people want to dump it. You know, they mm -hmm. get they get panicky. And, you know, there's there's long haul investors in crypto that say there's ups and downs and this is just part of the process. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people say, no, they're they're hamstringing cryptocurrencies and they know what they're doing. And they're, they're doing it because it is a threat, because if the government lo no longer controls currency, right. if currency is decentralized and there's a finite amount of Bitcoin and it's valuable at this level and people can use it to buy goods and services and the government no longer controls it, that's terrifying for people. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it. you know, the, the, the big uh, government concern has been, for all this time, has, has been that it's, you know, used by criminal elements, right? And... And you know there was a, a yes there that was true to some degree but um, it seems like the horse has left the barn so it's 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 more of a, a you know it's, it's gained more traction than you know I, I would have thought you know but I, then again I you know I look down and I, I think okay fine I should have bought Walmart um, but yeah I I don't know I I think that with the the, the currency the way it is. China, look, China's been looking to uh, supplant the dollar or to replace the dollar as, as the global currency. Um, they've had that argument for a long time. I don't think the dollar's going anywhere, but uh, I do think that, you know, the more that the government looks to uh, control uh, alternative currencies, the less attractive those currencies become and the more likely it is that the focus shifts elsewhere and there's a, you know, just, th there becomes then another attractive investment at the, you know, the, the nascent level, the beginning. So, you know, who knows, but, um, yeah. This is bizarre push to connect climate change to heart attacks. Have you mm -hmm. seen that? Yeah. Yeah. How dumb do they think we are? <laughs> Pretty dumb. I mean, how it's much, how much yeah. of an increase of climate change do you really need to get the massive jump in heart attacks that people have experienced yeah. i mean it was a cover of uh, abc there was an abc article about it that was trying to connect it and it was met with almost universal disdain people are like what the fuck are you talking about like that that's not the only option there's probably other some stuff that might have went on yeah. over the last couple of years you guys remember those things yeah i, I half the time i think the you know, and that's the problem with media nowadays. I mean, look, 
you 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 look at uh, you know at, at uh, most sites you know that are supposedly media uh, you know news focused, and it just seems like it's it just a, a just a slew of shit that's there just to get your clicks and your likes and to bait you into clicking on it. And most of the shit that's out there is just that, right? I mean, there's there's very few solid news sources anymore. I well, the argue. good thing yeah. about that is that independent news sources are rising because of that, because people have lost all faith and trust and. I mean, you're seeing the impact on CNN. I mean, they fired everybody now. Yeah, they 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 fired Stelter, supposedly Don Lemon and Jim Acosta are on the chopping block as well, and they're trying to make it an objective source of journalism now. The fucking cover of CNN had a positive story on me the other day. I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. What they say? It was about the abortion debate that I had with uh, Seth Dillon, who's the okay. Babylon B guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Where, yeah. you know, he was uh, saying that rape victims should be forced to carry babies. And I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. And his th- thought was that two wrongs don't make a right. And, and you know, he's an evangelical Christian. Yeah. And yeah. he has a very rigid perspective on life begins at, at conception. And, you know, I'm like, well, what if it's the day of conception? What if it's a rape victim day of conception? You think that that child who got raped should be forced to carry that baby? And that, that's the way things get real fucking squirrely. And he said yes. Yes. He said two wrongs don't make a right. Fucking hell. Yeah, that it's murder. I mean, that's the hardcore evangelical perspective of conception. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't realize, I think in part I didn't realize what an effort was, had been underway for years, right, by that, that, that segment of society to influence uh, state houses. In anticipation of one day having the Supreme Court return the question to the states. Right. So that was a a massively uh, uh, coordinated and and funded effort to try to get to that point. And that that completely happened, at least for me, off the radar. I just didn't. Do you think that's a political decision, or is that a position based on their religious ideology that life truly does begin at the point of conception? That they're doing something that's ultimately just. Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm or sure. Both. Yeah, I think it's both. But I think I'm, there's a lot of people out there who firmly believe, in, you know, on the religious side of it. And then there's, you know, there's I, 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 I don't, I don't know. It's it, it's one of those. You know, there's no winning that discussion, right? You guess it's, right. uh, you know, I, again, I, it falls in the category of, fuck it, don't hurt people, don't you, you do what you're gonna do, I'll do what I do. You don't need to celebrate me. I don't need to celebrate you. Just get on with your fucking life, right? Yeah. And and you do what you. But that requires, I think, for it to happen. That requires again reasonable people making reasonable policies that people can live under, right? And you know that doesn't seem to happen because you know one side wants it all their way and one side wants it you know their way, and everybody's throwing hand grenades at each other. So uh, I don't know how you I don't know how you walk it back. But. What do you make about uh, Fauci stepping down? Yeah, it's probably about time. I didn't realize he was as old as he is. Right? Yeah, he's eighty yeah. something years old. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that. But uh, hopefully, he's put enough away for retirement. Hopefully uh, not. <laughs> you think he's, he's? What is he gonna do? He's gonna keep working. He's gonna start an OnlyFans. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, you know, it's thirty-five percent of the internet <laughs> is porn, so uh, people would pay. God. See yeah. Fauci in his underwear. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 funny because the, I think the CDC is going through a shakeup right now, right? Because they're actually trying internally to to understand where they made mistakes, and a yeah. lot of their mistakes were were pretty evident. But they, uh, you know, um, at least it seems as if they're trying to. Make some adjustments internally for they the next time. Probably have to yeah. for survival purposes. Yeah, 
Yeah, with that, yeah, that's true. But we'll have another pandemic. You know, I mean, it's not like, and, and but I will say this: like the number of people that I still see walking around outside, outside on their own, by themselves, wearing a mask. Today, I saw it. Today, yeah. some yeah. poor guy who looked like he never thought about his health for a moment in his life, <laughs> except for putting that fucking mask on. Yeah, it's like having a condom and putting it on after you get AIDS. Yeah, well, you're not going to be like condoms anymore, I guess. No, we're going to be able to find them in a store. I don't think anybody's going to go for that. Yeah, that's a long sell. Yeah, that, I mean, we we would literally have to be at some sort of a fucking religious <laughs> domination of our culture to accept yeah. that. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not giving up sex. I'll say that much. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a red line. Uh, I but, mean, just condoms are the most innocuous of all of them. You're literally just just putting a cap on it so it feels good and sort of, <laughs> and you kind of stop pregnancy. It's just the, the whole thing is so goddamn dumb. Yeah. I, 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 I'm really surprised. I hadn't heard that before. Again, because maybe I wasn't paying attention to the uh, contraception industry. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a, not a it's, a... it's a significant part of that group believes that contraception also is an issue. All right. Well, that's see again. You get into that part, and then you could actually see a point where the Republicans don't actually take the House in uh, November um, if they just keep, you know, if 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 there's enough of that going on, because you have all the independents, you have all the like you pointed out, the people that are inclined to vote Republican because they like policies that are, that are there. But then they see this and they think, just stay the fuck out of my kitchen. Right? Yeah. Do the things you're supposed to do. Um, treaties and and you know security and you know foreign policy. And everything else, just just stay the fuck out of it. But isn't that a, a part of any system that the systems always want to grow and increase their amount of power? Yeah, and yeah. that makes it easier sure. for them yeah. if they have more power. They can implement all of their policies and all the things they want to do that may be unpopular if they have more control. Yeah, well, and that's how that's how we end up where we are, right? Because yeah. we've created a system that allows politicians. You know, to stay in in, in office, right? right. A, a, an existing congressperson or, or senator has enormous advantages over someone who's trying to challenge him for that seat. Yeah. And so that's just that's what it is. I mean, how do I stay in office for, you know, forty six fucking years? Um, but yeah, we'll get away from that. You know, we uh, we also didn't talk about the uh, the whacking of uh, of uh, that uh, oligarch's daughter. Yeah, in, uh, that's uh, in Russia. Yeah, in yesterday. Moscow. Yeah, just outside of Moscow. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's crazy. And um, it was supposed to be the oligarch himself, but he got in a different vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the? Yeah, it was. Um, and he's not really even oligarch. I guess is the wrong way to put it. He's they call him Putin's brain. Yeah, he's a he's a ultra nationalist, um, and he's more of a commentator, right? On he's a, he's sort of a, a media. Uh, face at this point, but he um, he was attending an event. I think he was giving a speech. His daughter was also there, and um, maybe the thought was they were going to get them both. Maybe the thought was they were going to get the dad. And the daughter um, is she's like a commentator, right? Yeah, yeah, she is uh, Daria um, uh, Dugan. She was a commentator. Was a commentator. Uh, now she's blown to bits, but. Uh, so she got in. They had two cars there at this event. She got in one, drove off, and then the thing, yeah, uh, detonated uh, a dozen miles outside of Moscow, basically. So um, it, and of course, the, the, you know, the, the Russian government immediately blamed the Ukrainians, um, and a lot of them are calling for targeting of of uh, Ukrainian personalities now in Kiev. 
so it just it just ramps up a, a, an already awful situation. Do you imagine a scenario where Putin uses nukes? That's um, the ultimate fear, right? Yeah, well, the ultimate is. fear yeah. is that he takes over yeah. all of what was once the Soviet Union. Yeah. Well, I think if you had asked that question uh, a year ago, I would said, "No, it's, you know, he's not going to do it." But now, we've been so uh, uh, bad at kind of predicting his his activities that, yeah, maybe he would see that he could keep it a limited uh, encounter, right? And you know, we tend to think of a of a, of a nuke as Hiroshima or Nagasaki, and and doesn't necessarily have to be like that. You could deliver, a, you know, a, a, a smaller uh, payload, and maybe he feels like he could keep it regionally contained. Um, so I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's off the table. It probably isn't off the table from his perspective, from his mindset. If he gets pushed into a corner, uh, yeah, yeah, and if he, I mean, look, if they if they if the fight is taken to uh, Russia. Right inside Russia, and, it, and they've had a number of incidents already. Right, they've and there have been a number of of of, uh, of uh, incidents in Crimea, and before this, I guarantee you, before February, whenever they started the invasion, February twenty fourth, Putin, you know, probably imagined that would never happen. He imagined he was going to be in Kiev in, in five days. So, I think the more that may happen, if the Ukrainian military decides, look, what we've got to do is is use these drones capabilities that we have and and you know some of the other weapons we've got to start launching attacks. And the U.S. has been trying to, you know, trying to manage that ever since we got involved in this, right? And by saying, you know, these can't be used, you know, to launch attacks inside of Russia because they don't want that to expand. And that could be one of those things that could then set him off. So something like this, this this assassination. Um, whether it was she was the intended target or it was going to be uh, her dad, um, that's the sort of thing that escalates, right? And it and it and it removes the ability, if there was one, to have any sort of negotiated settlement. But look, we're we're ten billion dollars in terms of of uh, aid that we've dropped on to Ukraine since uh, uh, really legitimately since Biden's been in office, but. Um, this is, they just approved a $775 million additional assistance package, mostly munitions and hardware. Um, and, you know, that's the, like the 19th, 18th or 19th, uh, package of, of, uh, of aid that we've put into Ukraine since this started. The Congress or the Senate, uh, approved a $40 billion aid package in May. So they haven't gotten anywhere near contributing all that to it yet. Um, but you have to ask yourself where, you know, wh- where's this going? Right. What are we, what are we doing? Are we just going to continue the, a sort of a proxy situation? What's the alternative? Do nothing? Well, if we didn't do anything, if we hadn't been providing all this, there's no way the Ukrainians could still be in the fight. Right? It just, I mean, no matter how strong their will is, and everybody respects the fact that they, they've had this enormous courage and will for this this battle, but the reality is they need the hardware, right? They need and look, they've lost. It depends on the estimates, but you know, some of the estimates are they're losing a hundred soldiers a day, right? Um, and we're at the six month mark of this. Uh, today is like 180th day, 181st day of the invasion, and 
while while sort of the figures are hard to pin down because both sides are you know in the business of not giving that information out and they're also in the business of exaggerating how much the other side has suffered you know estimates are you know maybe the russians have lost 15 to 18,000 and the ukrainians are probably somewhere you know around that again if you figure 100 so it'd be 18,000 if they're losing 100 a day um so you've got this going on and you've got the US and NATO just, you know, pushing more weapons and money in there and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, right? Mm-hmm. Russia doesn't seem inclined to, and they've said they won't negotiate. Uh Zelensky doesn't seem inclined to, you know, push for a negotiated settlement. Uh so I, you know, I don't know Where's where that go? goes. Yeah, exactly. And and we have to we have to be a little bit clearer about this, right? Because we obviously, we, Afghanistan was a, was one of those just ridiculous case studies, right? We kept talking about how we're creating the stable Afghan government, and um, the, you know, the military knew the Afghan military wasn't going to. The, the U.S. government knew, you know, deep down that the Afghan military couldn't stand up right, on its own, and yet for years and years and years and years we kept this going, right? And we never really did a particularly good job of explaining to the American public why we're doing it other than, well, terrorism, terrorism. We can't allow, allow them to use that as a base for attacking us again like 9-11. Uh, you know, so 20 years down the road and, and all those lives and everything else, eh, we're back to where we started, basically. Taliban's back in charge and, you know, nothing's really changed. And so with, with this Ukraine-Russia thing, you know, we don't want to get in a shooting war with Russia do we really want to keep just pumping endless amounts of money in, into Ukraine? And where's the money coming from? Uh, well, we're printing it up. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know. We're we're uh, we're uh, it's money we're not spending on, you know, on on uh, on other things, on shoring up our telecoms and you know getting Chinese gear off of cell towers. It's not money we're spending on you know quantum computing. It's not money we're spending on hypersonics research and shoring up our national security interests that way. But I mean, I get it, right? You want to support the Ukrainians. You want to do the right thing. I just don't, I, I'm confused over what our end game is here. And I'm, I'm hoping that behind the scenes, we've got some, you know, very aggressive effort uh, to get the two sides to sit down. Do you and, think that's the case? Eh, um, probably not. I don't think the Russians, because the Russians aren't willing and probably Zelensky, you know, um, you know, feels, at least at this point, that he's got... Um, you know, a lot of runway left in terms of getting aid and assistance from NATO and from the U.S. So there, you know, but at a certain point, it starts looking like World War One, right? Little tiny, tiny incremental steps, you know, on the battlefield and very little being done and, you know, potential for famine, even though they've they've released some of uh, the grain shipments. So it just looks a lot like, you know, we were we were in when, when we we're dragging the boys through uh, through London I took them to the Imperial War Museum. If anybody's so inclined, they should definitely go to the Imperial War Museum in London. And I took the boys to the World War I exhibit. It's fantastic. It's an incredible thing. But then you're standing there and you're, you're reading all of this about a land war in Europe, right? And lack of progress and people being you know, killed and uh, you know, famine being created because you know, they just, there was no agriculture going on and no ability to move food and grain. You realize, well, what the fuck? This way, you know, it's it, a hundred years on, and we're doing the same thing again. It just—it was a little depressing. It was kind of a depressing moment, but um, but with far yeah. more 
capability of destruction. Yes. Yeah. And that's why the yeah. consequences are so much greater. That's why this is so disturbing to people because if it goes sideways, it goes sideways for the world. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's which is yes, that's 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 exactly it. So if it you know, we were in a world war, but it was a, it was in a bizarre kind of way it was contained. Right? The world's much smaller now. Was, yeah. You know, much smaller technology being what it is, the potential for for major problems. Um uh, yeah. So but I, again, I guess I think it's it down to maybe it's the same theme, transparency on the part of the U.S. government. We have to do a better job of explaining maybe what our point to this exercise is, rather than just the the immediate effect was is a motive. Yeah, I stand with Ukraine, right? And wait, 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 well, what does that mean? And we all imagined that you know maybe there was going to be a, a, a quick end to it, one side or the other. That's clearly not happening. So I guess my point in in, in talking about the numbers, the sheer amount of money and it's not it's not just the money it's just it's what are we trying to accomplish here right? and that's that's part of the problem i will say putin completely miscalculated because i think part of his issue was he wanted to show cracks in in uh, in nato and obviously he didn't do that with now we've expanded nato and uh as a result of his actions so he got just the wrong result there um there's also a problem in getting to the russian people themselves because the propaganda that they receive is so thorough and their access to the information is so limited mm -hmm. in terms of like the russian propaganda like i've talked to people who have relatives in russia and they think that the ukrainians are a bunch of nazis and that you know we have to go over there to liberate them right that's right. The, that's the the propaganda that the surface readers of Russia are getting. Yeah, it's it's it, it's an it's it's a complicated issue. It's uncomfortable for people to talk about, um, you know, a, a lot of aspects of this. Right? Ukraine was, you know, we didn't give a shit. I'll be honest, we didn't give a shit about Ukraine. Right? Before this happened, we thought it was corrupt. We thought it was corrupt. I mean, yeah. New York and, Times, and you know what? It was. Yeah. Yeah, and and had a lot of problems, but. But you can't if you say that out loud now, like people are going, "What the fuck? Are you unpatriotic? You don't right. stand with Ukraine?" And it's like everything else, right? It's 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 like those easy fixes. I, there's, a, there's a few Ukrainian flags outside of homes in in our neighborhoods, you know, where where we are. I think you're like, okay, you're not Ukrainian, but if it makes you feel good, great. Right. But you know, do you really? You know, we're very quick to jump on things that make us feel righteous, you know, and. So, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable to say, but Ukraine was a place that, you know, as far as we were concerned, it was corrupt, right? And there were problems there that, you know, it wasn't going to join NATO anyway. We weren't going to admit it into NATO. And Why, the, why yeah. is that? Well, you know, it, in part because there was this, this concern about admitting a country like Ukraine into NATO and what that impact would have on Putin's mindset in Russia, right? Part of it was uh, they hadn't met certain you know, the, the standards or protocols that are in place for um, NATO membership. And so... What was lit missing? Um, transparency in government. Uh, corruption was an issue. Um, uh, so I think you, if you say that now, um, you know, people just look at it and go, that's, well, you're not on the right side of this argument. Well, you, it, there's nothing wrong with pointing out the flaws you know, and you can still support Ukraine in, in this, uh, you know, action that you know, the Russians have caused. Uh, you can do, you can have a more complex, you know, uh, argument than, than just it's either right or it's wrong. 
But we're, again, we're in that world where it's all right or it's all wrong. It's all this or it's all that. So, yeah. You bummed me out, Mike. Ah, I don't mean to bum you out. I was hoping you had, like, clear, concise solutions that the no. powers that be would listen to and go, hey, that Mike Baker guy, he's on to something. Yeah. Well, no, I just, I, I, I think more transparency. I think being more realistic about what our foreign policy interests are. Um, you know, those are things, but those that's difficult to do, right? It's very, it's a very popular thing to, to, uh, you know, this is one of the few bipartisan issues that you've got is to, is to grant more aid to the Ukraine. And it's one of the few things that people on Capitol Hill seem to agree about. There's only a handful of voices that are saying, what's, where, you know, what's it all about and where's it, where's it going? Um, I'm not saying don't. I'm just saying let's have a discussion about it you know, openly that talks about what our national interests are there and what we're trying to accomplish. And, I, I, you know, much like with Afghanistan, even with Iraq and, you know, going all the way back to Vietnam and others. I mean, we've never really done it. So, again, it's, you know, it's wishful thinking that we would. Um, you know, there's this narrative that's historically accurate that all empires eventually collapse. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's terrifying to people here. Like, what does that look like? Does that mean we become under the control of another empire? Does it mean we're under the whim of China and all our ideas about freedom and what we hold dear about the United States are gone forever? And that this experiment in self-government ultimately proved to be a failure. It lasted a few hundred years, but was overcome by the, what, all the powers that be. All the things that we're talk we've talked about so far, yeah. and the fact that the very foundation that it it was established under is not taken seriously or not thought of as so significant and important. Whether it's freedom of speech, whether it's you know the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, all these things that people want to change and erode and 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 shift based on their own political ideology that they don't understand that this is immensely important. Now you're bumming me out. Um, right, because like, where yeah. does it go? If if China exists right yeah. now, if we live at the same time that an entire country of over a billion people is controlled by a totalitarian dictatorship, which is essentially what the CCP is. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have ultimate control over what's expressed. They'll they'll lock people up for dissent. They'll take people that are you know billionaire heads of corporations that step out of line and they disappear them. Yeah, I, you know, does that happen? Does that happen here? Like, well, what, there's a lot of people that talk about how you know, but they've always been a you know segment of society that's talked about how democracy is failing and capitalism is a failing system and yeah, yeah you know, What's yeah, the yeah, alternative? I uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there is an alternative. I think, um, I think we allowed ourselves to get soft. We talked about this, you know, a while back, which is you know, part of it is is human nature, right? As a parent, I want life to be easier for my kids, right? My parents wanted it to be easier for me. Their parents, I'm sure, wanted it to be easier for them. And eventually you get the diminishing returns because, you know, we're not hunting, gathering, looking for fresh water. We're just, you know, sitting, staring at our phones and nobody's doing shit, right? So it's, it's you could argue that. And we've, you know, so we've created a soft society. Um, we have an inability to uh, say difficult things to each other without getting completely wound up, right? I mean, words are violence. No, they're fucking not. You know, it just... But a free flow of ideas and exchange, you know, is, is, is a very difficult thing to do nowadays, right? You're, you're, 
you know, you, people are afraid to say what they really think because, oh my God, right? well, they could lose their jobs. They could lose their jobs. Now. Yeah. Well, my, you know, my daughter went through university, and she, at the end of the whole process, which was not an inexpensive university, you know, she very honest about it. She said, you know, I just kept my mouth shut during, you know, most of the debates and conversations in class. You know, she's sort of a center right. She's more of a centrist, but she's center right in the political scheme of things. And she just was extremely unpopular yeah, with young people. Yeah. And so there was no yeah. upside for her, whether it was with students or, or with, you know, uh, professors to say anything. Right. So, but you get that, I guess the point there is, you know, you, you get this inability to, to, to talk and to reason and, and uh, and so you end up right now. It's it does seem like, um, yeah, we do. I don't know. I I tend to think that the country is very resilient. Uh, I'm not one of those people that thinks democracy's on the on the brink, right? I didn't think that January sixth is going to you know mean the end of democracy. I think it was it was a horseshit show, right? It was it was it, it was uh, it was not good. But I don't think it meant you know that oh my god, you know democracy's on the brink. No, it isn't. If you think that, then. I don't think you understand how resilient it is here in this country. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe we don't have enough people, you know, invested in the game. Maybe we need, you know, uh, mandatory service, you know, for folks coming out of high school. You know, maybe you could defer that for after college. But maybe everybody needs to put some skin in the game. You know, a couple of years of, of community service or military time. Yeah, that's what a know. lot of people have thought. That one of the things that separates us from countries like Israel, beside the fact they're in constant actual military conflict with their neighbor, <laughs> is that they have this sort of mandatory military service, sort of like South Korea does. We don't want that in this mm. country because we want people to have the ability to choose whatever they want. But I think because people don't exactly understand the consequences yeah. of n not looking at ourselves as a sovereign state, not looking at ourselves as a community of people that are all banded together, that we do have this sort of ignorant denial of our role in the world or of not just our role in the world, of the world in general, how the other players in this game look at us. Right. And I think also um, an understanding of how the country works or how it's or how it's laid out, right? Maybe not how it always works, but how it's supposed to, you know, work according to the framework, right? And, and you know, it's, it's not to sound like Wilford Brimley, but, you know, in school you used to take civics courses, right? And they, they was mandatory, right? You had to know, you had a government course, right? You had to know how things were supposedly working. And, and, right. um, and I think that's, there's an element of that too. We need to, maybe we need to spend a little less time on, on, people's you know feelings and following you know their passions in, in schooling and just get back to some basics you know do the things that that will help kids advance but give them a framework of understanding as to where you know how things work you know the social sciences fine you know civics great uh economics right i mean teach some things that really i don't know prepare the kids um i don't know where i was going with that other than um I, I see a list of, of courses, potential courses that, you know, particularly my oldest boy can take in, in high school, now that he's in high school. And I go, what? Hey, you know, I mean, how about, I, it's, it, it's all over the map, right? It's just shit that you think, I guess maybe that's, maybe that's entertaining, but, um, you know, maybe some more focus on, on well, basic instruction and education. Well, ultimately, yeah. what is school preparing people for? Is it preparing people to integrate into the world? Is it, is yeah. it educating people? Is it, is it just for their own edification and to expand their knowledge base? Or is it 
Is it supposed to like help them become a functional part of society? Like what is the role of education? Yeah, I think it's to become a functioning part of society. I think it's Should to be. allow you to be a, a provider, to you know, take care of yourself, um, uh, to be a responsible citizen. Um, and yeah, it, but now it does seem a lot of it's for, you know, um, you know, sort of just self-realization and, and, and following passion and doing all these things that, I, you know, I, anyway, I... Uh, and disappear down in some educational discussion rabbit hole. But are you concerned yeah. at all about the integration of technology into human beings? Mm. You know, there's one of the things that's uh, coming up now that a lot of people are discussing are these technologies that are rising right now. Like there's Neuralink and there's a few other ones, and Elon Musk has actually just uh, invested in some competitor to Neuralink. Mm. They're all working towards this integration of technology and human beings but when we're talking about the problems with technology and the problems with the fact that a lot of our technology is compromised yeah. and that if we do that to human bodies if we really do all connect to the internet via some sort of cyborg device like what's to stop that from being compromised right uh, that's and that's really the, that's an extension of where we are right now right right and so it's it's no, it's 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 a it's a great question. We we actually covered some of this in in uh, I haven't even I gotten all this way down the road and I didn't plug uh, Black Files Declassified on uh, Discovery and Science Channel, but in the second season uh, we did uh, some work on this. Uh, went to UCLA uh, robotics uh, program. Went to uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Looked at some of this, and uh, I think it's fascinating. It doesn't necessarily worry me from. Um, I know there's discussions about you know, the morality issues of you know linking you know uh, machine and human and all that, but I do think from a, uh, a security perspective, like yeah. you pointed out, I think there's some concern there because uh, and you know, but you know, research and development being what it is, um, you know, I I was I, I've been super impressed with what super did I say super impressed? I've been impressed with with uh, what I've seen, anyway, from what some of the research labs are doing, right, in this in this field, it, it is a, it's an amazing area. But what they're not doing, because they're scientists, right? They're they're engineers. They're not counterintelligence, you know, concerns. You know, they, and, and so you don't have that follow-on part that says, well, what does that mean? And you know, I'm, the ethicists are out there looking at the morality issues, but I don't know that you know the uh, from a CI perspective that anybody's been out there staring at this. And, and wondering, well, if if China is controlling, uh, uh, you know, communications, telecoms from their their uh, position right now, once this goes further, um, what does that enable them to do? And I, I, you know, I don't know. It's, but it is. It's a fascinating area. It's just typically the security aspects or the and the counterintelligence aspects of anything tend to be a, a trailing issue right but you gotta think that other countries are looking at that oh in a different sure. way well china is definitely china is yeah it they've got the they've got the advantage of being a dictatorship right so they don't sit around and worry about the ethics of things they don't worry about the morals of things they don't worry about civil liberties right and i'm glad that we do you know in the west i think that's great that's the way it should be but 
we just need to be aware that they don't yeah. and, and what that means and why they are so focused on this. I mean, they're fo- again, they're focused on artificial intelligences, similar to their focus on, on other you know, key technologies that they want to control. So, um, yeah, we just, again, it's, it's one of those things where you don't want to sit around and, and, you know, see, uh, uh, you know, some sort of conspiracy or a, a security threat behind every corner, but that yeah. one seems like it's not a corner. It's like a giant gate. Yeah. It's yeah. right in front of our face. I mean, if we all do integrate and you're talking about quantum computer computers and their ability to eliminate all of the, the, safety nets of cryptography that what what's to yeah. stop that from happening with human beings yeah no it's I mean, and, and again i don't think it's an area that's really been fully or or not even fully just i don't think it's been an area that's been explored because we we tend to race into things right from a development perspective it's like a pharmaceutical company a pharmaceutical company you know they, they all they want to do is 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 have a free flow of information right to share that information within the you know the, uh, the the scientific community to to get where they want to go, right? And you know then you've got somebody typically in a pharma company that's the, the chief of security. And he's like, you you can't do that, right? Because this information is is not only is it valuable to the company, but it's 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 ours. It's proprietary information. We've spent billions of dollars on it, developing it. Right. You know you can't just take your laptop home or take it to you know on a trip to Europe with you and assume that all that information on there is is, is secured. So you're butting up heads against all all the time against free flow of, uh, free flow of information and, and and security, and it it's never you, you're always trying to find a sort of that fine point on the line that that gives you maximum you know access to information for the you know, people that are innovating, and then locking it down to the point that you can on the security side, uh, which but it's a tough thing to do, which inhibits the ability to have new technology. Yes. And inhibits innovation. Right. And that's, well, that's, that's the view from the scientific side. That's the right. view from the academic side, right? That's, that's what happens. And, and yet, um, you know, and, and, and going back to that same dead horse that I've been kicking, the, uh, you know, the Chinese Intel, you know, uh, whichever department it is there that may be out there looking around, they understand that. And they've been working in the academic community, you know, for decades, you know, and because they understand, they play on that, right? They understand that, you know, they, these folks don't think that way. They don't think from a security perspective. So, you know, I don't want to say they're easy pickings, but you know, they've they've worked the academic environment very hard over the years in terms of getting access to information. So, um, and and how have they done that? Uh, co-opting um, individuals, maybe. Uh, it could be something as simple as uh, identifying, look, I'm interested in material science. So I see uh, there, at a university here in, in the U.S., maybe I, I um, identify a professor who's doing some particularly interesting research. You know, maybe I develop a scenario where he's approached by someone. It seems very innocuous, and they're just looking to get a, some, some insight into a paper that he's written or whatever. So he provides, you know, some material. It's not classified, but he provides that material. Now... Okay, now what has he done? He's he's kind of accepted your tasking, right? Now you kind of co-opt him a little bit more. Maybe you offer him a grant, right? You know, to do some research um, on something. Maybe you offer him a, a a trip to you know Northwestern Technical University in China to come and, and talk to some of their people, you know, in, in a in a seminar, right? Or whatever. You're you're looking to develop 
um, individuals who have access to information that you want, and it can be done in a variety of ways. But um, you know, and then they and they do a tremendous amount of just open source trolling, right? They're at every major scientific seminar, convention, discussion, panel session, just trolling around. They're gathering up information, but they're also looking for potential contacts. And again, you know, it's uh, it, it it sounds old school. It doesn't sound as as high tech as you know, getting online and hacking into, you know, um, Raytheon or whomever. But it's part of the what the tools that you've got in your kit bag, and so it's an important part, and it's and it's worked very well for them over the years. Um, so anyway, it's it's. Uh, but again, what's been happening? We've been trying to be more um, proactive, or the the bureau in particular has, and other members of the community and the intelligence community going out to institutions and saying these are the problems you could be facing right these are the things you should be aware of you know if you're approached in this fashion it would be great if you wouldn't mind telling us right um so you know it's uh, it's again I, I i seem like i've spent a lot of time banging on this subject it seems like something to bang on it's something to bang on and it's an enormous cost to, to us and to our allies and i think you know the more that again the more that we talk about it uh the better off we are even though, as a cynic, it's, I mean, 2015, I think it was, uh, Xi and Obama uh, had this meeting, and, you know, there was this big fanfare about China agreed not to, not to engage in cyber espionage or cyber shenanigans of any sort, not to engage in economic wink, espionage. Wink. It was, yeah, it was like this, and they all, they, they touted it, and the media was like, wow, look at this, they've agreed to do this. Uh, bullshit. You know, they, have, they haven't stopped. In fact, they've accelerated. And, we, you know, all people have to do is Google latest uh, Chinese espionage acts, right? And you get this long list of, of you know, uh, indictments and charges that we've, you know, the, the U.S. has been able to make. Um, they've got, they've got uh, an insane number of, of uh, counterintelligence investigations going on at the Bureau. Bureau's stretched thin, right? Um, uh, and most of them against the China target. So, you know, I don't want to sound like a one-trick pony, but I think I have. I think it's a good trick. Yeah, it's a uh, trick, it's yeah. uh, well, it's certainly something that people need to think about because I don't know where this goes. If you, if China's successful with this operation, like what does that look like? Yeah, um, it looks like they're firmly convinced they're going to be at the top of the food chain, right? And I, I, again, I know people roll their eyes and they when they hear talk like that and they think, well, it's a community of nations, you know, there's room for for everyone up up top, and that's not that's not the way it. You know, they, they view it, right? Um, we tend to mirror our values on other nations. They don't, right? Um, and so there's no, there's no misunderstanding on their part. Um, and so if this Congress takes place and Xi is, you know, given a third term and all indications are he will, uh, they'll just continue this march, right? And they'll just continue building up uh, their military, their, their uh, you know, their, their, they look at the, uh, at the Pacific region as basically their rightful property. Um, they certainly, again, we talked about Taiwan. So I think we just need to, we need to be aware of, of what the dangers are in the world. You know, don't sit in a foxhole worried about them. You know, that, that'd be silly. But if you think about what the past few years have looked like, you know, people have been just kicked in the ass constantly, whether it's the pandemic or it's the Russia-Ukraine battle, whether it's, you know, increased tensions with China, whether it's, you know, a recession. I don't know if it's a recession or not, but if it's a recession... Um, 
Yeah, it's been it's been a weird few years, and but I think it'll get better. You do? I'm an optimist. Oh boy! <laughs> I know. I, 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 every time I walk out of here, I always feel like I just all I did was like. That's why we bring you in here. I I don't think about it as much as you do. I I need to know, like, especially with your background, what what your perspective of worst case scenario is. Yeah, I do. I do think it's important to be optimistic, though. And uh, yeah, I got kids, so I have to be. Yeah, me too. Exactly. Right. So, any more? uh, I've been meaning that I've been following your your tour and. Kept trying to figure out a way to get to one of your shows. It hasn't worked out with my schedule. But do you have any more coming up? Yeah, yeah, I got a bunch. I'm always somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, we're always somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, always yeah. touring. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in. Find something. Yeah. I want to get out to Idaho anyway. You got to. You did yeah. that one show. Yeah, I love it up there. They still fucking talk about it's it. It's fun up yeah. there, man. Yeah. Uh, Idaho's a. The, I mean, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to ruin it. But yeah. yeah. Boise is an amazing place. It really, it, it, it really you, is. You should see the construction. You can't swing at that cat without hitting a crane. Well, I, yeah. people are leaving California like it's on fire. Yeah. Parts yeah. of it are. Parts of it are. Yeah. By the way, I don't know why you'd swing at that cat. I, uh, I got two of them. Um, I, would, I never would do that to them. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic town. I will say this. that We're coming up on the best fly fishing time of year. September. Yeah. Up there in Idaho. So if, if you're... Got you know any time on your calendar? No, my calendar September's filled with hunting. Okay, that's, yeah, that's, well, that's another. Yeah, I was gonna say it's well. Yeah, you come up I, there, you get both things done. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's hard to get one done. Yeah, yeah. it's hard for me to escape. You know, what? What? what, what the, when you go on the road, when you do the tour, not not. I don't mean to like take over asking questions, but I'm just curious. Please do. What's the best part of doing that? What do you enjoy the most? People about? laughing. Yeah. I, I enjoy the fact that it works, that the people can co- come out, have a good time, forget about their problems for a little while, all laugh together, and all laugh together as a group. It's very, you know, that's a cliche that laughter is healing, but it really is. It's like a medicine. It's a medicine for me. And I, I can sit in a comedy club and watch one of my friends on stage make me laugh. I love it. Yeah. I still love it. It's a it's a drug. It's a it's a it's a perspective enhancer. It, it shifts the way people think about life. You get out of there, you have a good time, and you get out of there with a big smile on your face, and you have you have fun, you know. And that's what I like about it the most. Is that it, you can provide a moment of fun. Is it more difficult to do now than it was like ten years ago? It's easier in some ways. You get more criticism, but people are excited about it more. It's yeah. like people want it. You know, it's like. We've taken away all the wild, fun movies. You can't have a, a fun comedy movie anymore because they're controversial, and people are terrified of controversy. They're they're terrified of criticism. They're terrified of uh, being attacked and canceled and this and that. And and also, these people have these jobs that are dependent upon you know providing the studios with these films that don't get attacked, so that they can profit off of them. And they. They worry about it, and so comedy, stand-up comedy, is one of the rare places that's pretty autonomous. You just need a building with a microphone, and there's a lot of them out there. Do you do, do you ever come up with something though, and then or write it down and think, no, I can't, I can't do that. If it's not funny, yeah. If it's not funny, then I don't do it. Yeah. But if it's funny, if it works, it makes people laugh. Yeah. This, this idea that it's supposed to, you know, we accept fiction in. Uh, all sorts of forms of media, whether it's literature or film, where something happens is horrible, and we don't think that it's a real thing that's taking place. But when a, someone says something on stage, 
even if it's satire, even if it's like there's certain subjects that they think you're not supposed to cover. You, there's things you're not supposed to say regardless of whether or not they make people laugh. And that's that's where the rubber hits the road with stand-up. Yeah. That's, that's the big pushback. And in that sense, stand-up is very exciting right now because people are they're very happy that there is still an outlet where people can just say funny things just to make people laugh. And it's, these aren't statements. They're not affidavits. They're not, you know, they're not declaration declarations of your real true feelings on things. They're just funny things to say. And that is still alive and well, it's a very American art form. And there's, you know, it takes a long time to develop the skills to be able to do that. It takes a long time to gather up an audience that accepts you and knows that that's what you do and wants to come see you. And I feel very, very fortunate that I have that. So Yeah. Well, you got the fucking audience, that's for sure. So uh, I keep doing yeah. it. And yeah. w- there's a lot of us. You know, that's why I'm uh, building a club out here. That's why there's a big movement of uh, comics that recognize the significance of this art form and that this is kind of under attack, but I mean, under attack is a weird way to say it. It's under criticism, but everything's under criticism. There's more of an ability to criticize now than ever before. Well, more, yeah, more people are self-editing, right? Yeah. I mean, at the workplace, in school. They kind of have to, though. um, Yeah, no, you do. And, but again, it's a shame, right? Because we've gotten to that point where you you can't just, you know, I mean, I've had, I've got friends that are all over the political spectrum, and we have some of the greatest conversations, and we're completely on opposite sides of things, right? But and we get, you know, it gets a little loud sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, we're great friends, right? And and you know, we're all good with it. And, That's what's you know, missing in this country: right. the ability to have differing opinions and still find common ground. Most people are good people. Yeah. Most people, the vast majority of us, are good people, but we're so divided and scared. And we look at each other with differing opinions as being the enemy. And I think that's crazy. The differing opinions are something to be considered and put into your own value system and try to like decide, is this person right? Are they wrong? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do they feel the way they feel? Why are we so divided? Like, what, what, what are our common beliefs? What's our common ground? But people aren't doing that right now. They're, they're so polarized. Well, everything's very siloed, right? So. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, you sit and you read. <clears throat> People, I, I, I talk to folks about this, they'll say, well, you know, what should I read? Or what should I watch? Or what should I listen right. to? And the answer is, whatever you get your hands on, right? I mean, just just read a wide variety of things, right? Don't just, don't, don't just sit and read, and your one source of news is this, or right. it's all in this silo. I know I'm gonna agree with it. And if you're not uncomfortable sometimes with things that you're watching or you're reading, then you know you're, you're part of the problem, as far as I'm concerned, because yeah, it's it's you could argue okay, it's important if I'm on if I'm really feel strongly about something, fine, I get it. You want to be uh, you know sort of that. Uh, I feel like I'm part of a community because now I'm I belong to this group that all feel strongly about something, right? But it, it's like knowing what the enemy thinks too. You should get out and understand what the other side is saying and what they they think, because maybe it'll make your argument for your own perspective a little bit better. Right, because now you understand what the other side's thinking. If you don't, you, you're just going to sound like a douche nozzle. So, agreed. Um, yeah, that's yeah. 
That's about it, Mike. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, I think we solved a lot of problems. We did. We fixed everything. We fixed it. And you know what? You I, always do. And I'm an optimist. Things are going to get better, <laughs> Joe. I hope they do. Yeah. They... Well, you know, sometimes when confronted with problems, people find solutions. Maybe that's uh, the, the silver lining of all this, is that people are going to be forced to look at these problems that we've created for ourselves and realize that maybe... Some of us are on the wrong path, and maybe you know, maybe this uh, attitude that we have, this polarized attitude, is ultimately bad for everybody, bad for your children, my children, the world in general, and that we all need to like try to understand each other a little bit better and find out why we have these rigid belief systems, and also recognize that there's a problem with human nature that we have these 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 tribal identities that we attach ourselves to. And that many of us, they, you know, we just have adopted these predetermined patterns of behavior that aren't necessarily beneficial to either, or, either or. So you're saying people might become more self-aware, and and uh, I'm hoping. Yeah, uh, that's like, my yeah. hope. It's not going to happen. No, some no, of I'm us, I think. <laughs> I think some of us I are becoming so. more self-aware, and yeah. also, I think there's a movement where people are kind of tired of this shit. They're tired yeah. of the polarization of this country, and they 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 do realize that. Most people are good people, and they have to kind of like they have to like logically and rationally come to those conclusions, and and r recognize why people have their own belief systems and what you know what caused them, whether it's regional or whether it's uh, a political. Like, what's caused them to to, to f find these patterns that they've accept accepted as their own that they've adopted? Yeah, I think I, I, if if that were to happen, if people were to step back a little bit and think about. Um, what they're saying, if they would be just again a little more self-aware, um, but I do think it also requires uh, it requires some change in the narrative from on high, right? It requires yeah. some change in the narrative from from the politicians. I don't. That's where I'm really cynical. I don't yeah. see that because there's too much. That's how they get self-interest, right? Right. But if everybody just would <laughs> chill the fuck out a little bit, and, and and just realize that words aren't violence, differing opinions aren't violent they it doesn't hurt to hear right. a different opinion right you can choose to accept it or not you don't have to fucking argue about it then yeah then maybe we get to that point where there's a little bit more uh time spent somewhere in the middle ground i think it should be yeah. celebrated i think those kind of uh open discussions should be celebrated i think yeah. we should recognize the value of them that that's a, it's an important part of any sort of civilization is to have open debate and discussions. And it's really simple. It's a simple solution to silence people. But ultimately, it's bad for everyone. Yeah. It's bad even when people have, are saying things that you're diametrically opposed to. The right that they have to say that is very important to you. Oh, yeah. Because if, if, if you, you try to shut down that, yeah. It, then they shut you down. They'll shut you down, and you're never going to be right. pure enough for the mob. Exactly. Right? So anyway, I think this has been a very good therapy session. I think we, we nailed it. Finishing on a positive note. Uh, your show. Tell people about your show. Yeah, uh, Black Files Declassified. Um, going into a third season. We don't have a Incredible. production date yet. We don't have a production date yet, but we're standing by waiting. It's on Discovery. Discovery, of course, merged with Warner. And so now it's Warner Discovery, and... Anytime something like that happens, uh, they then spend the next six to eight months waiting for the dust to settle before they right. then move on and do anything. Um, but they've been terrific about the show, and so we're we're hoping to get started again in the in the fall. There's no shortage of subjects for you to cover. Oh my God, yeah. There's, and there's some good ones that they've they've mapped out early on until while we're waiting for uh, for the green light. I have to ask um, you about UFOs before we leave. Oh yeah. Do yeah. you know anything new? 
Um, do you do you ever have any thought that these things are drones? That they're either something that the United States has developed or other countries have developed, and it's some sort of a black declassified black file. Is that what you call them? Yeah, black files. Yeah. Um, I, I what we've seen so far, and we've done a we've done some episodes on uh, ATIP on the Advanced Threat Air, uh, you know, uh, program uh, on UAPs, uh, the Pentagon's effort to try to catalog these things. Most of them come down to. Um, to uh, fairly logical explanations, but there have been some cases, and they, they just, you know, they produced this report the Pentagon did last year, which was a little bit unsatisfying for most people who were hoping to see a little bit more detail. I'm not sure why they thought that would happen, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I, I don't deny that there's, there's other stuff out there. There's life out there. I'm sure of that, right? Um, have they come here and visited? I, I, I don't know. But most of the things we've looked at, you can argue, have been Project Aurora or you know some other um, classified uh, program around some type of air platform. And uh, probably unmanned, right? Most uh, a number of them unmanned. Yeah, some some manned. Because then um, you don't have to worry about the biological limitations of a human being right. traveling at extraordinary speeds. Which is the problem. And material science yeah. is lagging behind our desire to get a manned hypersonic vehicle, for instance, right? And it's just not it's not there yet. So, you know, that's why the hypersonics that, that are being developed are unmanned, and that. That makes perfect sense, but they're we working. Because we're turning to goo. You're turning to goo. You can't. You just. Yeah. It's. It's. It. We're. We're just not there. But I think that there have been some cases we've talked about. One. The one that stands out. This is a couple of things that, when, when in this in this arena, one would be uh, uh, Commander Fravers yes. sightings. I, I. I have not seen any logical explanation for that yet. And multiple eyes on target. Um, clearly something there. Insane Fravor. rates of speed that yes. are uh, no sign of physical don't make propulsion. Yeah, no, no, no visible propulsion, and um, and Fravor just an enormously experienced individual, and again, yes. multi multiple eyes on that target. Yeah. So that's video me, evidence. When people say, "What do you believe? What do you don't believe?" That's one of those things that I I, I think is for me is one of the really big mysteries, right? That's the one that I would point to of all the various sightings that have been out there, the Phoenix lights and everything else, I think can be explained um, logically. Um, and then the other thing, and this is gonna sound like I'm taking a complete left turn, is, but if we're talking about things in this world, would be the uh, Martin Luther King assassination. Yeah, you bring that up often. I do, I do. That because, is a left yeah. turn, but you that one you yeah. researched and you believe that there, there was, was Definitely more to it, yeah. yeah. There's definitely something there. We haven't found that out yet. We haven't figured it out. But I'll never shift off of that. There was there were there was something there there, and and it was it was uh, it was a concerted effort. Um, but those are the two things I think that to me really stand out in all the various investigations we've done um, over the handful of years we've been doing it. Um, Anyway, but thank, thanks for asking about the show. I appreciate that. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for being here. It's always good to talk to you, even thanks, though it man. bums me out for a few hours afterwards. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Go get a, good, get a good workout, you, brother. Yeah, I Take will. I, I think I have to. <laughs> All, right, All right. Bye, everybody.